everybody and welcome to season 10 of sequelizers i am your host jack chambers ward and joining me as always it's matthew stogden boys boys you're both pretty we'll all sequelize (laughs) (laughs) you know that's just a statement of fact right there yeah (laughs) (laughs) and speaking of pretty boys it's tim matum we sequelized a lot of things we're not proud of blues brothers 2000 uh son of the mask speed 2 but nobody got hurt. Well, maybe somebody got hurt, but nobody we knew. <laughs> That's fair. That is very fair. Accurate. We've hurt a lot of people on the internet, but not not many people we knew. They had it coming. Yeah. We are, in fact, delving back into the depths of Disney sequels this week. <sighs> Some more straight-to-DVD goodness. Straight-to-DVD goodness. I'm going to do a prediction Right off the bat, that is in no way a hot take. It is a cool, tepid take. No, not a hot take, no. This this episode is going to rile some people because of the age of the demographic where we have early 2000s stuff people have real fond memories for and inexplicably it's their favourite film. And I think the first in this thing, in this, in this series, is going to be, it's my favourite film and therefore I remember watching the second one and I really enjoyed it. You're wrong. <laughs> Fair. And what is that film, Jack? We are, in fact, fixing 2003's Atlantis 2, Milo's Return. <laughs> makes him sound really sinister to me. Yeah, he doesn't really return It was like Milo's Revenge it's, Yeah, or it's like a that. very confusing, because it's like, so his, I guess it's his return to the surface world. Yeah? Sure. By the way, that is the sequel to 2001's Atlantis, The Lost Empire, if you hadn't already clocked onto that. Mm. And well, as Tim correctly said, straight to DVD nonsense. Mm. We're back in the early 2000s. We're back in Disney DVD sequel bollocks. <laughs> yeah. And this is a bad one. Well, here's the thing. Um, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Uh, see you next week, everybody. Before we get to Atlantis 1, Atlantis 2, and all of the Disney straight-to-DVD nonsense that we'll be talking about this week, let's like take a little trip down under. Under the sea. That's Australia. Yeah. And Little Mermaid. To patreon.com slash sequelizers, of course. (laughs) The paradise lost to time that people didn't know existed, but it's full of undiscovered treasures and wonders. I admire how you're trying to make this work. Such as outtakes (laughs) and movie commentaries. Truly, truly, Patreon is the Australia of the ocean. Thank you, Tim. Finally, someone understands my metaphors and stretched segues. Places Irish people are forcibly sent. (laughs) (laughs) The sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Australia, yeah. Patreon. <laughs> well, we, for some reason, Irish people say Patreon, and I'm always like, really? Mm. Yeah, really. Isn't like patronizing, I guess. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you join us on our Patreon page, and I'm like, nah, that's weird. I refuse. Patreon to me. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if that's an American thing, but pat- maybe, maybe. It's Patreon to me. And you can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash sequelizers, lovely listeners. And you can get, as I hinted at earlier, the undiscovered secrets of Atlantis also known as outtakes and movie commentaries, and the full pitches, also like discounts on merch, early access to episodes, ad-free episodes, all that good stuff across a variety of tiers on our Patreon page. If you would like to become a highest of the tiers and become an executive producer, you can do that. You can get a shout-out on the show. You can get to pick episodes. And even if you're on the lower tiers, you can still vote on some episodes every season and the interseason. Mm-hmm. 
we're already working on some interseason stuff because we realized how close we're getting towards the end of this season. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, season 10 is nearly over. Creeping fast. Yeah, this is episode nine, so we're nearly there. Three quarters of the way. Yeah, and we've got some shit left to cover. <laughs> we've got the shittiest of shit. A couple of people know what's coming up. I know, uh, what, speaking of executive producers, one of our executive producers, one of the picks is coming up mm-hmm. soon in these last three episodes. And the Discord guessed the other the, one at one point. The Discord have, yeah, inadvertently guessed a couple of other things around. We haven't confirmed that though. While they were trying to guess one of the other films, they might have guessed one of the other films. So <laughs> there's a little teaser for you. Yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, you can, of course, go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. I mentioned we've got an executive producer bit coming up in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's a bad one. It's the worst. Mm, it's and next it, week. It's been discussed on the Discord extensively because people, the, the people who know, know what trouble we're in mm. and fuck me and of course the executive producers for this week are Stuart Main Colin Thompson Philip Morgan. Jonathan Firth Clark. Hyper Dude Man. Josh Van der Sluis. Xenos. Josh Miles. And James McDowell. Thank you, executive producers, for all the help you provide us, all the expansion of the seasons we've had over the last couple of years or so, the expansion of the in-season when we included our MCU 11-hour trilogy, I think it was in the end. Yeah, yeah. All thanks to the patrons and the executive producers who make this possible, who make the episodes free for the rest of you as well, and they... Yeah. Help us do things like merch, which is coming up very, very soon. We've got our anniversary merch launching. Couple of weeks. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Nice. With, the, with the live stream coming up, which is the the ultimate film showdown, which is the the tournament of all the films that won all the other tournaments mashed together, and it's gonna be fucking horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna <laughs> to break do. us. Do tune in for that one. That might be our biggest ever live stream with just the three of us. It's gonna be a battle going to be hell and um, you might need to vote for us because it's going to be real tough so we need you guys in the live chat for that one to yep. help us yep, decide so yeah please do join us on that it's coming up in a couple of weeks have a look on our social media have a look on our website you'll find all the links all that kind of stuff but yeah should we get into atlantis we delve to the depths of straight to dvd Let's sequels dive into it mm. matt did a punt him he did yeah. i'm so happy yeah thanks matt that's all we needed so basically, I remember I was uh, 17 when this film came out, and Disney was in trouble. The first one or the second one? The first one, my apologies, the first one. And Disney was in trouble, because after the huge renaissance of, second, third renaissance of mm. the, uh, the 89, with Little Mermaid mm-hmm. onwards, the, the 90s, after a few... Uh, I, I don't stumbles. think yeah Her- Hercules and Pocahontas and, and Hunchback of Notre Dame weren't stumbles, they were good films, mm. but they weren't Bang, Lion King. Bang, Lion King every time. Yeah. And then they released two films in particular 
that were very poorly rated at the time and have now become quite beloved. One is Atlantis, The Lost Empire, mm -hmm. which I will expand upon, but I think is fine. I think it starts like it's going in a really good trajectory and then bums itself because it's basically being Stargate, except <laughs> it, it, it loses. It's very Stargate. It's very Stargate. It's basically being a lot of things. It is being a lot of things, to be fair. It's basically Avatar. It's basically a bunch of other shit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Dances with Wolves via Stargate, which is still Stargate. That sounds kind of great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it should be. And was that designed by Mike Mignola? Great. Mm. Um, and the other one is Treasure Planet. Now, that's mm -hmm. a good film. I fucking love Treasure Planet. There that is go. the hidden gem of yes. Disney films for me. And Lilo and Stitch, also a decent film. Yeah, I really like yeah. Lilo and Stitch. But none of these things really got the traction of a Disney. Disney was getting superseded by Pixar punching out things like Monsters, Inc. Yeah. And suddenly everything you're doing is like, this ain't good enough. Yeah. Because look what they're producing. It's like, well, we'll incorporate digital effects. Don't care. It's yeah. not selling it. So and it, it, I think it's mm. interesting that the Disney renaissance of the, of the 80s and 90s had quite quickly run out of classic fairy tales. Oh yeah, and and wanted to move beyond that, which is sensible because uh, a you're trapping yourself in a very particular kind of aesthetic if you only do that. Um, and it took a long while for them to come back around and do Rapunzel and Frozen, which are the two mm. that, that kind of fall into that again. And even then, they then moved on and did Moana and even though they called it stuff. Tangled because they were so afraid of it being called Rapunzel. I, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Basically, they had to start trying something new, but they didn't find a model of success quick enough. Yes. They, they, this is very much their like, well, we had a bunch of success. We're in a financially stable enough position to try different things. Let's try a bunch of things. Hmm. Will they work? No, but some people are going to really like them 20 years from now. Yeah. Because they grew up with them. It, it's like, let's do a science fiction or fantasy twist on 19th century adventure literature. Yeah. <laughs> Which is basically what this is, basically a Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and also, to a degree, and also tre um, Treasure Island in yeah. space. It's, it's effectively. And, yeah. And it's like neither well, of and, these and are really working. Clements and Musker had been wanting to do Treasure Planet for ages. Yes. Yes. Like the yeah. fact that they had so much success with mm. Little Mermaid and a bunch of other stuff, Hercules and stuff. Aladdin, things like that, yeah. Aladdin, yeah. yeah. God, yeah. Al meant that they were allowed to do Treasure Planet, and then obviously Treasure Planet made nothing at the box. That's the thing, Treasure Planet, and the reason I'm grouping in those in, by the way, Treasure Planet and, and, and Lost, Atlantis, sorry, Lost Empire, is because both of them were considered a failure. Yeah. And it's like, could this spell the end for Disney? Which, of course, it doesn't. Of course not. Fucking stupid. Because yeah. Yeah. they own the world now, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and mouse is everywhere. And more specifically, at this point, they owned Pixar, which was the thing that they were competing the money. against. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But eventually, they, they knew what they were doing, which was, we want to make the money, but we want the rat to have the branding. <laughs> it's like, you know... The, the, <laughs> the rat to have the Michael branding. Rat has to have the branding. Yeah. <laughs> because um, it's not good enough to be just a Pixar... Please, his name stone. is Eisner. Michael Eisner. <laughs> We call him Michael Rapp. Yeah. yeah. It's it's the idea of um uh it wasn't enough to have it under the whole we're making the money anyway. It had to be a Disney thing. It's not enough to have a Star Wars park or a Marvel thing. It has to be in Disneyland. Yeah. It has to be a factor of it. It's still under the under the housing. Um now, as a production, I feel that Atlantis feels like a Don Bluth production. So Land for Time and um, there is a Page Master and that sort of shit. There is a lot about it. I think the animation, obviously, we're going to get into 
the Mike Mignola of it all of and how he yeah. contributed. But there are a lot of moments of the animation that feel very Don Bluthy. Yes. I think there's a lot of connective tissue between Atlantis and Titan AE. Oh, uh, yeah. Great Titan mention. AE, yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Exactly. Should we quickly go around the room and just say when we all saw it? I saw imagine. it in the cinema. I didn't care for it at the time. And what about Milo's return? I saw Milo's return a couple of years later when I was binging all the Disney straight I, to DVD I stuff. I hate you, Matthew. I didn't care. <laughs> I, was, I was like, there must be something good in here somewhere. Uh, and as Lion we know... King 2. <laughs> Mulan 2. No. <laughs> We've fixed plenty of them already. Yeah, that's yeah. reason. We've the, done Aladdin 2, Mulan yeah. 2, Lion King 2. The reason I was doing this yeah. is because I thought to myself, oh, Disney were already insistent on pushing Toy Story 2 to DVD, so maybe I'd have missed out on Toy Story 2. And I watched all these things and said, no, I didn't. No. Mm. I missed out on nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What about you, Tim? Uh, I saw them both for the first time yesterday. Holy wow. shit! I don't know why that's so shocking to me, but that's very interesting. Yeah, and I was trying to think, because I was like, oh, had I just given up on like animated movies at this time? Because I was like 15 or 16 when it was coming out. Mm -hmm. That's real, um, I'm too cool for cartoons. Age. Yeah. yeah, I'm too cool and, for cartoons, I'm watching anime. And yet I saw me, uh, Lilo yourself, and Stitch in cinema. So, uh, yeah. uh, and I was definitely still going to see like Pixar films around this time. Um, so, mm. so I think I was just... Too it cool did at school. Yeah, I don't know why. But it would have been marketed it, at you. Yeah, you'd been the prime demographic. I, mean, I, I essentially you, you Tim. Yeah, I, it was. I mean, it was very much like Disney going like, "Let's do a boys' film now." Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, that didn't work. And Lilo and Stitch, I was like, "Yeah, yeah," because they misread the situation. Yeah, like, but this is what all you know, um, male teen boys want to see. I, like, think, uh, I think. Uh, I think it's the thing is that by the time Lilo and Stitch came out, I was in sixth form. So I had the I had more I had the independence to go to the cinema during the day a lot of the time. Yep. Um, which meant I saw quite a lot around that time because I'd be like, oh, Tuesdays I'm done with lessons by you know twelve thirty in the afternoon, and now I'm just in the city and the cinema is super cheap. Yep. Um, so I I saw a lot around that time. I think Atlantis would have come out. I still would have been in high school. Ah, yeah. And more importantly, like. Because Lilo and Stitch wasn't being marketed at, at my demographic, I was like, oh, that could be interesting, though. Whereas, really, as a 15-year-old, Atlantis is being targeted at, like, 11-year-old boys. That's true, that's true. And so, yes. therefore, you, I'm like, well, I'm too cool for that. But the that's thing that's fair. deliberately ignoring me, I want to know what's going on with. Mm, that sounds well, like was my approach to girls at 15. I was having yeah. a teenager's view mm. on the world. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Jack, how about you? I... Don't think I saw the first one on the cinema. Would have seen it. Would you? You would have been said eleven year old, right? I was literally eleven when the first one came out. Watching well, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I would have been ten or eleven. Yeah, around mm. that sort of age. Um. So yeah, I don't think I saw it in the cinema. I'm pretty sure I didn't. I would have seen it on DVD a couple of years later or whatever. The typical kind of thing. It. I definitely saw it around about that time. And similar to you, Tim, I saw Milo's Return yesterday. <laughs> See, uh, for context, I just want to. I really want to put this out here. In 2001, 11-year-old Jack, 15-year-old Tim, 17-year-old Matt, etc., mm. we would have had the option to see certain things, obviously. And if you're going with, like, oh, what's a family fair? Like, for a, you know, demographic, you could be watching, in theory. Okay, what have we got in the cinema? Got Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings. Like, mm. God damn, that's a great film. Yeah. You got the first Harry Potter one. So again, that's mm. also sucking yeah. up another sort of thing as well. Yeah. You got Monsters, Inc. Oh, and by the way, Disney's doing this film called Atlantis. Yeah. It just bounced off. And I think it was just, a, it was a, again, maybe a good year for this sort of period for people 
that demographic possibly, but it just sort of, I don't think it was because people actively thought, I don't want to watch that so much as, uh, as people just not even caring or realizing it was a thing in the first place, which is why yeah. it became a cult underground hit possibly. Well, I think yeah. it's fa- fan favorite, shall we say. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, around this time, like the marketing steam had run out of Disney almost more yes. than the create. Like they were doing interesting stuff and they were trying to find new audiences and trying to expand what mm. a Disney film was. But they all, I think the marketing possibly didn't have an idea of how to sell these things. I think, A, they were probably at this point still very hooked into the idea of like, this is a boys film, so we can't market it to girls. Whereas if you'd have marketed it as like, this is for everyone and maybe done a little bit more with the female characters in it, then they mm. would have found more of an audience that way. I'm, because I think there's a sizable female fan base for this. Because oh, it, has got, it has got some interesting female characters into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yep. But I definitely don't think it was marketed at them no. at the time. I um, think it really has an interesting cast because the, the whole crew that we build throughout the first film is surprisingly diverse. Mm. Definitely not something I clocked on as a 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old mm. yeah, on, yeah. on my first watch. But watching... So I watched the first one, re-watched it three or four days ago, and then watched, as I said, the second one yesterday. And I was so pleasantly surprised by the supporting cast. I was like, them just kind of wandering about talking and talking about their backstory and stuff. That's kind of my favorite bit of this yeah. movie. Oh, I yeah. want to learn more about these expedition crew. And like, she's a like Hispanic teenager who is a <laughs> mechanic and wants to build a shop with her dad. Like, mm. that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then we learn about like the medic who was drafted and then mm-hmm. is also a chiropractor for some reason. <laughs> and the weird mole man who's clearly the kid's character but a bunch of them have like genuine depth and we have people of color and women and women of color in mm. the main kind of cast yep you could argue the atlanteans are people of color as well because yep. obviously they got they're, de- different... they're definitely coded that way they're and... definitely coded that way yeah, the, yeah exactly. it's, it's the the noble savage yeah, yeah. Oh, here we are so, again yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean uh, just a bit of a behind the scenes thing it was like here's the script um and it's fine. It's in terms of humor and stuff like that, and, and everyone was doing the job except for Don Novello, who said, "Right, I'm going to give you the line and I'm going to give you one reading of it, and then I'm going to do like tons of ad lib." Yes, yeah. and of course, all the ad lib ends up being the funniest stuff in the film. Yeah, because it's like, oh yeah, give him the room to be funny. Yeah, and this is what I, I, I want to get to Tim about this one because I'm very, very curious because the first film, as I say, from from my perspective, it grew on me, mm. but I still watch it to this day and go. Ah, it feels like a missed opportunity. Mm. I think there's things it gets right and there's things I'm really enjoying and then it goes up its own asshole and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm lost now. I didn't, I didn't, I, it changes tack for no reason. I don't really care for it. Blah, 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 blah. It's so obvious and rote and blah. Watching it for the first time yesterday, Tim, mm-hmm. where would you say you sit on that metric scale of this is overrated, it's not that good or this is actually really good, it's an underrated classic or literally just in the middle of like, it's fine. I think uh, it's fine. It has some good moments. It has some great designs. And I think there's a lot of wasted potential there. See, I think that's the interesting thing, because that's my exact same opinion 20 years later of the exact same film. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I don't think that um, ever changes. Yeah, I the, think The three of us are pretty unanimous on that. Yeah, and definitely. We'll, we'll get into the, the summary soon for, for people who haven't seen it or seen Milo's return. Yeah. Which I'd imagine Almost is most people. Seen that one. Yeah. It's yeah. on Disney Hopefully. Plus, everybody. You're yeah. paying that subscription for something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like when it starts, it goes off like a fucking rocket. 
And I think I could have done with a little bit more. I think it could almost do with being a little bit longer because it's within 15 minutes, you've got there within 15 minutes, they're aboard the submarine. You've introduced your principal cast. You've, uh, they're, they're aboard the submarine ready to search for Atlantis. And then 10 minutes later, the submarine is destroyed. 170 people are dead. Spoilers yeah. uh, for my synopsis. Jesus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And there, it's like there's a lot that happens in the first half an hour, um, and then it feels like it slows down. And there's a lot of tunnels. Yeah, quite dramatically. I address this in my synopsis by talking a lot about the first like twenty minutes, and then it's like, and they arrive at Atlantis. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, let's get let's get straight a, into there's it. There's a bunch of backstory and stuff, and yeah. literal walking and driving for like forty minutes in the middle, which is odd. Yeah, but. Like I said, a lot of the conversation stuff, which I don't really address in my synopsis because no. it's not the plot, mm. but the actual backstory of the characters and them interacting with each mm -hmm. other, understanding mm. their goals and motivations, which is money, 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 mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's some of the best stuff. And like you're right, Matt, because it's a, a banging voice acting cast. Yeah. Everyone from Michael J. Fox through to... Mm -hmm. Fucking uh, who's Leonard the guy? Nimoy's in there. Yeah, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy who voices Slinky from Toy Story. I was like, yeah. where is that voice from? Jim Varney. Yeah. Jim Varney. Yeah. His last like, last film his role, final performance. Was, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, where do I? James know Garner, that voice? John Mahoney, St David Ogden Steers, who I think is always yeah, yeah a good Chris show. Summer as Keita. Yeah, Jim Cummings in there, obviously Claudia Christian, um, who was in, if I remember correctly, Babylon Five. She was ba yeah, Babylon yeah. Five. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of really. She was pleasantly surprised by how sexy her character was. Yes, I she was. That she trivia. was. She was worried her <laughs> character was going to be too brutish. No, she didn't use the word munta, but it was along those. <laughs> yeah, it was along those it's sort of like, like a, an ugly frog or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. a yeah. fugly Jesus. slut. <laughs> to go back to Mean Girls. Let's go back to it's me just saying fugly slop. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, go back to Mean Girls. Yeah, anyway, let's, let's get into something. Let's I, dive into Yeah, because I must admit. I'm going to dive into We're going to get. Uh, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get to this. I, I don't want to spoil Jackson's synopsis for the point where it comes to the turn because at the turn, I'm like, you've spent so long developing these characters. I and mean, then you're like, oh, yeah, but the plot yeah. needs them to do XYZ. And now we're here. I don't buy it. Yeah. yeah. And we'll get. We'll, we'll, well, that will come more clear in a few moments. Yep. Atlantis, the lost empire. Shit. We start with the sinking of Atlantis in Atlantean, which melted my brain. I was <laughs> like, have I got the audio wrong? I forgot that the Atlanteans spoke a different language. I was like, yeah. I've left it on Spanish or something. <laughs> that happened to me on Crunchyroll recently. And I was like, the fuck is this? Why is it in Russian? And I was like, there's an option. I was like, oh, Spoilers, God. I had the same opinion for the sequel. <laughs> I was like, huh? Oh, no, this is correct. <laughs> We see literally, as I said, the sinking of Atlantis with some like Akira-esque explosions. Yep. <laughs> like a big dome of electricity and energy and shit. Yep. A giant tidal wave and the Atlantean queen is abducted by a floating crystal, leaving her young daughter, Princess Kida, behind. Yeah, it's very anime. The domed city of Atlantis sinks beneath the ocean. Get in the crystal, Kida. <laughs> ah, Tim said the thing. A few thousand years later, turns out it's 8,000 years, and we kind of address that later on. Milo Thatch, who is a failing linguistics researcher and cartographer, somehow he's both, who has dedicated his life to finding Atlantis, following in his grandfather's footsteps. Milo is introduced by femme fatale Helga Sinclair, the aforementioned sexy character played by Claudia Christian, to eccentric millionaire and old friend of his grandfather's, Preston B. Whitmore. 
who is set up as a terrifying like Mr. Burns style villain, and mm. then is like, "Oh, hello there, Sonny. I'm a wacky, like, friendly guy. I'm a wacky eccentric." <laughs> he recruits Milo to decipher the Shepherd's Journal, containing directions to Atlantis in Iceland, just as Milo had predicted, and join his expedition to the Lost City. So that is like the first five minutes. Yep. Yeah. It goes. It is breakneck. Breakneck speed. We're in the ship now. The yeah. expedition is headed yeah. by, and we get a rundown of the whole crew, so mm. I'll give you a quick rundown of yes. the crew. Commander Rook, Helga we've already mentioned, the demolitions expert Vinny, who is maybe the funniest character in the whole thing. Agreed. Uh, geologist, it's a strong word. They describe him as geologist. He's a dirt fetishist. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what he is. He's a creepy <laughs> fucker. He's a creepy little He's French a McDonald's toy you don't want. Yeah. Yeah. Who has bits of dirt in his bed from different countries. And loses his mind. Uh, Molière, aka Mole Man, aka yep. the Mole, aka the Dirty Frenchman. Loved uh, him in the South Park movie. Hey, <laughs> uh, medical officer Doctor Sweet, which is the the whole thing of explaining Sweet is yes. kindly. Wait, Sweet, no. Uh, mechanic Audrey, I mentioned the Hispanic character I mentioned mm. earlier. Uh, radio op- radio operator Mrs. Packard, who is basically the character from Monsters Inc. Yeah. Mike Wazowski. <laughs> She's the, the quote earlier was that I did was hers. Like, boys, boys, you're both pretty. We'll all, we'll all go together. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. why are these Atlantean men fawning over this old scraggy woman? I don't understand. Don't but that's kink shame than that. Uh, fair, <laughs> Tim. You know fair. what? <laughs> fair. They're 8,000 years old. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. She's, so, she's, she's a, a chicken. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Carry on. Uh, a chef named Cookie. Yes. And... Like a bunch of soldiers, just as yes. protection, basically. Red and, shirts, and not Red anonymous shirts. fodders, gas-masked yeah. soldiers who definitely not won't... not the uh, Nazis, but pre-Nazi, pretty fucking like... Mignola, though. Well, yes. yeah, I, I'm, I can't remember if you mentioned this film is set in 1914. 14, yes, so it's it is. just either the Great War is started mm-hmm. or it's just about to start. It has, but not for the Americans. They don't care until 1917. That's, that's true. Yes. Um, although all the Europeans should be going on about it, really, mm. shouldn't they? You'd think, Tim. Yeah. You'd think. But we'll also touch on that later because it becomes important once you get to Milo's return. Yeah. Anyway, we're near Atlantis. Yep. 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 We're in a submarine, a st- weird steampunk submarine ship thing. Yeah. Big Jules Verne. And they're just like, thing. here we are. It, it's totally 20,000 leagues. Right? Yep. It's a cool uh, design, though. Mm. Very cool. I like the steampunkiness of it all. It's, mm. a, yeah, it's yeah. a nice touch. Yeah. It ties it's, into it's... the weird, like, Old but future mm. tech of Atlantis as well as we'll yeah. get into in a second. Mm. But yeah, all the visual design, the aesthetic of the storyboarding, the the production design—it's really atmospheric and mm. nice. Yeah, and that's where the compliments tend to end. The steampunk submarine is attacked and destroyed. That's right, folks. It's on screen for like three minutes, maybe. Yeah, uh, by a giant mechanical leviathan, which is like a big lobster robot thing. Yeah, not not fully explained, but it's the guardian of Atlantis, basically leaving only a handful of survivors in their little escape pods. They carry on following the journal's path. We just steamroll past us. They get into a bunch of trucks and stuff and just drive off because they had trucks in their little escape pod thing. Whatever. (laughs) They gather remaining vehicles and travel through a dormant volcano. We get a bunch of backstories, the ones I mentioned earlier, the whole, oh, I want my builder shop. I use the money to build a shop with my dad and I'll Mm. retire and I'll do this and blah, blah, blah. blah. Weirdly enough, just as a complete aside we've done this in so many pictures ourselves in the past where we like this is the true character development backstory stuff and we don't have time to, to kill on the word count but it's in the film i did it in my day of the dead where mm-hmm. they're all the camp and they're doing through the backstory about how they survived thus far and you're like 
yeah, it's this. It's that idea of you get these characters explaining. Like I said, it's this, the best is, bit this of... is some of my favorite bits exactly. in the film. Ignoring yeah. the how... heart. The visuals are fantastic. Like consistently, I'm I'm impressed by how well they blend like the 3D and 2D animations and the CGI works well with the hand-drawn stuff and all uh-huh. that kind of stuff. But outside of that, these character moments are kind of the highlights. You've got some genuinely really good performances, some fantastic animation, really well-written and interesting dialogue that gives them multiple dimensions and motivations and all this kind of stuff. I'm just breezing over all that. Trust us. It's there. If you haven't already seen it. Um, and there's a few accidents and things. Things start breaking down. They try to drill and the drill doesn't work, but then... Milo is able to fix it, all that kind of stuff. And they eventually arrive at Atlantis. This is a much longer sequence. This is like the middle portion of the film, basically. Yeah, mm. they they travel through like a whole bunch of underground biomes and like there's <sighs> snow down there and stuff yeah. like that. It's I like, don't understand how, how there's snow down yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a show that's but a strange it, that, world. That's, it's all done in montage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The group is found by some conveniently multilingual Atlanteans. Like, yeah, we have the root language, so we know all of the... What? <laughs> Stargate. Yeah, it's not as well done as Stargate, but it's Stargate. It's true. Including Princess Kida. Hey! Except now she's an appropriate age to be a love interest. Yeah! <laughs> Eight she was a thousand kid. years. Yeah. That's, that's appropriate for you, Matthew, right? And your love of anime, where 8,000-year-old yeah. princesses look like teenage girls. <laughs> what are you talking about, Jack? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a classic thing. Like, oh, she's aged remarkably slowly. I guess she's like Yoda in the sort of the sense that she's like she was a a child for a thousand years or something. Well, they 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 kind of cover this. I, I I actually I wanted to go back and I was thinking about this during Milo's return, and I was like, oh, I should go back and check this because there are kids in Atlantis, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure, and that they all have these crystals mm-hmm. which slow their aging. Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. so do they put them on at a certain point? And that, that makes logical sense. Their age, or is it just that they they sl- just age really slowly and they have them on all the time? The crystals are definitely the source of the slowing. Yes, but at what age they're given it is unclear because you I, see I, kids with crystals. Yeah, I was going to say because I, mm. I didn't go back and check. Like, are the kids wearing like, yes, crystals they are. and stuff? Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if it's, it's... given like. A valid question. Yeah. Is it like a baptism thing where you're like, oh, he's an Atlantean and they give him yeah. a name and then they do the little thing? Like, Here's your crystal. Here's your door or, for Encanto. Yeah. But, but it's it like, like a... who would who would want a crystal and be like, oh yeah, you're 13 and you're going to be 13 for 80 years. But they don't... In, enjoy that acne. Fuck that. But they don't have a concept of that because they don't know any different, so... True, if we could, if we get, they're imagine, not, they're imagine not someone saying, God, puberty for last like at least a couple of days. I'm like, what? <laughs> we have like eight years of it. Mm. Yeah. Oh my God, I can't even imagine that. How, like, how, could, your you body, how could your body cope with all those changes mm. in that short amount of time? Yeah. I go, my Christmas pod. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm going to go on a weird tangent. It's something I always like to think about when talking about like elves in Lord of the Rings and mm. stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah. And even when you're playing it in like D&D and stuff, mm. like elves tend to live five to 8,000 years. You're like, so day to day is just nothing. That's a blink of an yeah, eye and it doesn't yeah. matter. Like yeah. entire human lives happen in the blink of an eye to these people. So you would imagine, oh, they might be you can play them in a way of like, oh, then they're less attached to human people. Yeah. Elrond is very much implied to be like Thuranduil is is implied to be mm-hmm. like that. It's like mm-hmm. fucking humans, who cares? Yeah. They'll I'll go for a shit and they'll all be dead. Like yeah. which is legitimate because it's like imagine I said, like, oh, by the way, did you know a wasp lives for like five weeks or something? Like, yeah. Cool. Do you want to marry one? It's like, what? <laughs> what would be the point? 
That's the, yeah. that's it. But because we're seeing it from the wasp's perspective, like, oh yeah, yeah, we are the wasp. You should so, be, yeah. you yeah. should be in love with this person. It's like that's dumb. Exactly. Yeah, anyway, sorry, Oscar. Going away from Lord of the Rings, D and D, and wasps. <laughs> How do we get here? Fucking hell. <laughs> they negotiate with uh, Kida's father, as you mentioned, Leonard Nimoy. Fantastic. Spock. Yeah, good old Spock. Amazing. His design He's also so gravelly. Looks great. Very Don Bluthy as well. Yes, it is definitely. Yep. Certain characters just angular faces and very. They don't look. Again, the fact that Leonard Nimoy is also in the Page Master as well. Yeah, Yeah, very angular look to people. I'm like, huh. (laughs) The expedition is granted a night's rest in Atlantis as a bit of a negotiation because they obviously the Atlanteans are wary of all these outsiders coming in, and Milo is basically sent on a little infiltration mission to learn more about Kida and Atlantis because he is the one that speaks and reads their language. Against her father's wishes, Kida enlists Milo to translate some of the Atlantean text. For some reason, they can speak it but not read it. Stargate. Stargate. <laughs> um, and For Stargate reasons. Pretty yeah. much. Stargate, it was outlawed he by can, He can fluently speak it-ish and read it very well, but couldn't pronounce her name for some reason, which bugged me more than it should have done. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. That's being like, oh, I can speak fluent English, but James is like, what? That's a classic bit of, you know... Uh, Peter Schneider from uh, Otherism uh, joking Like here's my full name It's like I'm just gonna call you this It's mm. like That's stupid. You can just call me Keeter Oh yeah. okay Jack Lawrence yeah. William Chambers I'm gonna call you Chambers Ward Thank you My prime example There you go mm. Jack Lawrence William Chambers Ward uh, I'm just gonna That's a lot I'm gonna say Ja Exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Hey Ja Exactly okay. She plans to Basically find out What's going on With Atlantis What happened to it And eventually return it To it's former glory Basically Milo goes underwater with her somehow. He just holds his breath for a long time. <laughs> yeah. uh, and oh, trans- no. translates an ancient underwater mural and learns that huge crystal called the Heart of Atlantis, which is what gives the people longevity. As you touched on mm-hmm. earlier, Tim, you have the little shards of it that they wear around their necks, basically, and powers all the little crystals that they wear around their necks. So it is like the source of their mm. magical power and, and their w- technology. And they plug into their machines to make them work, which they also didn't know how to do until yep. he uh, uh until yeah, this Milo white man them. came along yeah. and shows them. hey have you tried twisting it and she's like yes and like twisting it and your hand on it oh no. my god oh my god oh, i would sick. never have thought of that yeah he also then discovers that rock is a bastard oh this but... is where i don't care i don't mind rock being a prick because like okay ulterior motives and that's a bit frustrating but the fact that all of the friends we've learned about so much character development with go along with it you're like no. Not all of them do. Some, yeah. some of them don't. Yeah. But en- enough of them do. Um, all the German ones do. <laughs> They're conflicted, some of them, but... Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, this sets off a principle where the twist villain of Disney stuff kind of starts. This keeps happening in Disney films for the next, like, 10 to 15 years where you get, like, oh, we're teaming up with this guy, and he's got a bad plan all along. And it's like, Right. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't a trope quite yet at this point. This is a fairly early days of Disney doing this. Y- yeah. Because but... previously you had um, Emperor's New Groove and Tarzan, and the bad guys in that film are very obviously the bad guys. Scar is clearly a bad guy in Lion yeah. King. It's very clear yeah. who's, a, who's a villain. Yeah. yeah. Ursula is clearly a bad guy in Little Mermaid. Like, I mean, yeah. you've gone back to the 80s there, but you know what I mean? Like, no, you're right. You're yeah. right. In this like early 2000s, heading into the new millennium kind of thing, this is pretty much the, the kickoff point for the. He doesn't seem so bad. Oh, he's very bad. He's mm. just motivated by money. Rourke knows about the crystal, plans to steal it, 
all the usual villainous bollocks of like, I'll take their stuff and sell it, even though they talk about it in a moment with like a single scrap of any of this stuff will sell for millions of dollars. So you could have just done that all along. Sure. Anyway, Milo and Kida find the heart of the crystal and Kida is absorbed into it like her mother was 8,000 years earlier, which is what we saw at the beginning of the movie when mm. she's twist alien abducted sort of into the big crystal at the top. Somehow she just walks and then she's in a crate. Yes. There's no cut. There's just she's she's like, oh, I'm a godlike being now. I'm, I'm me and the crystal are one thing. And I was like, oh, oh, that's what sunk Atlantis. She's got like godlike. Oh no, she's in a box. And they just don't address like, yeah. does she have powers? And she does in a minute, it, as we'll get on to. Yeah, it feels like it's about to be like Jean Grey going Phoenix mode. That's and exactly then, what I thought it was. And then be. they just put her in a box. Imagine if Phoenix just had all the crazy eyes and the flames and stuff, and they were just like, and you're in a coffin. And she's like, well, I'm fucked now. Yep. And it's like some cryostasis thing, I think. It goes like, Pwitch. yeah, it does seem to like frozen. Yeah. Like it neutralizes her somehow yeah. for those reasons. Thank, thank God they had that in their escape pods. <laughs> they just they just don't explain any of this stuff. Anyway, some of the crew who are unwilling to commit the total genocide of Atlantis, like I said, some of them side with the bad guys, some of them still side with Milo. Uh, Rourke, Helga, and the remaining soldiers start to head to the surface with Kida's crate and blast the bridge behind them to trap the others. The dying king, that's Princess Kida's father, as we said, Linda Nimoy, gives Milo his own crystal, explaining he had tried to weaponize the heart, and that is what we saw at the beginning of the movie. He tried to expand the technology and try and basically weaponize this power, and it cost him his wife's life and the sinking of Atlantis, and it's all this whole. Mm. Oh, sure. I shouldn't have done that and manipulated it. All I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Don't make the same mistake. It's too late. Goodbye. Incredibly gravelly. <laughs> anyway. Milo, you have and always will be. My friend. My crystal. Don't touch my daughter. <laughs> Bye. She's 8,000 years old. Do what you like. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's too old for green son. blooded Atlantean. Hey. I won't have her on the inside of a prison cell for touching a little boy like you. Exactly. A mere sprig of 30. <laughs> and for some reason, he asks Milo to save Atlantis and Kida because white man has to save stuff, right? Yeah. Doesn't want to ask like any of the Atlanteans who are basically immortal and really strong. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, if she's not saved, she'll be fused with the crystal forever or something like her mum was. Again, not explained at all. Meh. Like, or oh, should we lost to it like her mother was 8,000 years ago? Like, oh, okay. Why is that a bad thing? Anyway. <laughs> and he dies. Milo and his remaining friends rally the Atlanteans and they use the crystals mm. to reactivate. Here's the thing I don't get. <laughs> Why are their vehicles shaped like fish when they're not underwater originally? Atlantis isn't a water-based... Uh, I suppose it's a city. An, it's an island nation, so yeah. you'd you'd get a lot. You'd have of Japan's got a lot of fish-shaped things. Yeah. We got a lot of fish-shaped things. You don't have fish-shaped cars, though. We, mm, <laughs> maybe maybe unless you don't. Unless you're, yeah. a, fi- unless you're don't a fisherman. Have seen a VW Beetle? That's fair. That's Pretty fish-looking. That's a tortoise-looking motherfucker. Yeah. Um. Anyway, they reactivate their flying machines and pursue the mercenaries who are escaping on like a big airship thing. Rourke argues with Helga and just throws her in a fucking volcano. Rourke, in one of the darkest f- images in a yeah. Disney film mm-hmm. in 20 years. Yeah. I saw the comments um, of a review of it on YouTube and everybody was like, Rourke scared the shit out of me as a kid. Yeah. And he it, throws her in the volcano. It's pushing envelope of like, oh, that is, <laughs> that's a fucked up face. Yeah. As she dies, she shoots the airship containing Kida's crate and starts everything starts falling apart and stuff and 
because it's an airship, everything explodes, basically. Sure. Uh, they start fighting on the burning airship over the heart, and Milo manages to slash Rourke with the shard of the crystal, I think, or like a piece of glass that's powered by the... Whatever it is. Sure. Yeah. And he turns into a living crystal monster. Yep. Yes. W- for some reason. Again, not explained. Uh, and is then smashed apart by the propellers of the airship as Milo like, kicks him off and he climbs up and all that. Kind of yeah. Stuff. yeah. Yeah. Again, not really explained. Fucking uh, Simon Phoenix is him from Demolition Man. <laughs> Pretty yes. much. He does. Pretty much. Weedy, weedy, weedy little uh, Michael J. Fox's character, Milo. Yeah. Able to overpower this Goliath, the old man, James Garner. Yeah. Um, um, mm. Super-powered crystal monster Crystal version. version. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. For reasons. The airship basically awakens the volcano as it crash lands, and Milo and the rest flee back to Atlantis with Kida, who, still merged with the crystal, Rises into the sky and awakens all the... Oh, so she does have powers. Brilliant. <laughs> she awakens all the ancient, like, stone guardians and stuff, and they raise a big, like, force field thing that they apparently could have done this whole time, which they... Well, seem- they do They do at the beginning yeah. when... When it sinks. When her mum gets absorbed and it sinks, because I think there's there's a huge wave coming yeah. to destroy all of Atlantis, and instead it destroys <clears throat> the outer parts, yeah. and then the rest sinks. Protect protect the inner city bit yeah uh, and the same here with lava and yeah the la- lava goes blip, all over the top and then cools very quickly uh yeah and then magic cra- and then cracks <laughs> and then cracks and explodes and clears off and everything's fine and then Kida's like oh i'm free from the crystal you know? yes okay did milo do that i don't think he did i think the crystal did it all and everything's fine and He's a mm. fucking Indiana Jones dude. Who this probably, <laughs> probably would have all solved itself without even being there. Well, he got her out of the box. But he also let her get Sort of. Put... Well, Helga <laughs> shot the airships. Yeah. He let her get put in the box as well. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. He just let her get put in a box. If he hadn't have been there, Helga would still have been betrayed by Rourke, and Rourke still would have. So He wouldn't have turned into a rock monster. He might have gotten away with it. Yeah. yeah. But was he more powerful as a crystal monster? No, probably weaker, wasn't he? I don't know. <laughs> anyway... Keeler's back. He was more vulnerable to high-pitched opera singers. Yes. yes. Milo decides to stay in Atlantis with Keeler for some reason, and the rest return to the surface, promising to keep their adventures secret to preserve Atlantis's safety. Whitmore alone learns the truth and then trains all the other ones to maintain their cover stories to hilarious consequences. And they, and they've, they all got a bunch of gold. And yeah, they've got, got Atlantis. A bunch of gold. And then World War One happens. And then World Yes. <laughs> and they all and then die. Round the Kilko in the Somme. It's like a and fucking they're all hell. enlisted and it's very unpleasant. Yeah. yeah. Dirt Man's like, oh, trenches, fantastic. And then gets yeah. buried alive. Yep. Demolitions guy's like, oh yeah, I'll help. I'll lend you my expertise. Uh-huh. No, uh-huh. Howard yeah. takes him out. Gets yeah. trench foot. Just yeah. fucking awful. Yeah. On to Atlantis. That's my last sequence. <laughs> Uh, it's a thing we haven't really touched on yet. We haven't. Is. We did this before the show, yeah. And I have structured my synopsis in a very particular way. So let's talk about episode one, shall we? Because <laughs> this has film nailed this. This film is a fucking pilot for the animated well, yeah, TV series. We should series. explain this was this was from an era when there were a lot of these. There was like a Little Mermaid TV show. Yep. There yep. was uh, Hercules was a good one actually. Yeah, um, that, th- that suited itself to a monster for the week, quite literally. Yeah. Yeah, there were a bunch of these spin-off TV shows of Disney We discussed movies. the Stitch variety ones yeah. Yeah. on a previous outtakes, I want to say. We Possibly, went through all yeah. the possible so. like, Japanese weird spin-offs of Stitch TV yes, shows and shit. Yeah. Um, so this was originally planned to be one, and then, they dec- then when Atlantis didn't make enough money... Yeah. They decided much like Treasure Planet, it made basically no money yeah. on quite a large budget. 
they decided, oh, okay, then we're not going to make a TV series about it. But we've already animated two and a half episodes. Oh, let's just put a very, very mild overarching story to link them together and put it out as a DVD movie. It, yeah. it could not be more clearly three separate yes. episodes. I yeah. don't mean three acts, three arcs. Well, we're going to talk no. about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, this isn't this isn't like oh, we're going to kick off the series with like a Disney Channel original movie, and then that's going to sure. lead into the series. Nope. This is just three, three episodes of yeah. the season yeah. uh, of, the, of the series. And I'm not going to lie, if it was just a TV series, first three episodes, it'd be fine. So interestingly enough. Yeah, I think it would work much better as a TV show because mm. I went in with the expectations. Having not known anything about Milo's return until a couple of days ago, mm. and yeah. then going in and being like, oh, and I'll get to this in a moment. I'm like, I'm enjoying this first story. This is a really cool idea. Mm. Oh, wow, they're going really they're going in that direction. Mm. Yeah. And then 15 minutes later, it's all wrapped up and done. I was like, huh, must be a big twist coming. And they're like, off to this new place. Yes. Like, Sorry, what? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't worry about that. Off to this new place. Yeah, I got, I, I got Again? that. What? Like Twenty minutes in, I was like, this feels like it's wrapping up. That's Let's, exactly what what's I. What's happening? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing. It's there are times when we say this film is bad because it's not good storytelling. It's that it's broken in terms of uh, character motivations and arcs in the fact that how it's created or crafted. This is broken in that it is. A television show, yeah, being it's fundamentally binged. not a film. It's not a film. It's like an anthology movie, very much being so. very generous there. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't with feel the budget like it works. of a TV show, which I think yeah. is really key here because fucking obvious as well. We complimented the animation of the first one so much. Like I said, I think yeah. it's one of the films around this sort of era that really succeeded in blending the three D and two D stuff really well, mm -hmm. and honestly, pretty much held held up. 20 years later. It does. I was very yeah. pleasantly surprised I, th I how think good the, it the, the only thing that really holds it back is that there are certain characters who are very obviously more influenced by the Mignola designs oh, definitely, and other yeah. characters who are less so. And there's just a weird tent. When you've got like one and two of them standing next to each other and you're like, that's a Disney person. That's a Mike Mignola design. Yeah, yeah. It feels odd. It feels like a, an Mickey Mouse and Hellboy wrong... stood next to each other. Like, yeah. 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 An extra's walked on from the wrong set, except they're animated. Yes. And you're like, yeah. How did. Are you in the right film? It feels, it feels a little bit like we talked about in the outtakes, possibly. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. just amongst ourselves, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Rescue Rangers. Where there's lots of different styles of animation going on. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like, it, you don't belong here. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably the only bad side of the animation in Lost yeah. Empire. Yeah, I think so. That's um, fair. That's fair. Whereas, yeah, the Milo's, um, Milo's Return is very clearly TV budget. Milo's Return, if it was just a TV thing, I'd say that's fair for a 2000s TV. I mm. wouldn't mind. I wouldn't slate it too much. Do you but, know yeah. the other thing that annoys me about this so clearly being three episodes of a TV show? Mm. We don't get the funky TV opening credits yeah. that it surely would have had. That would have been slightly higher budget because they would spend a little bit more on the opening yeah. credits. Yeah, you're going to show that every week. It's <laughs> a valid point, Tim. Anyway, Jack, synopsize us for these three episodes of a TV yeah. show. Episode, episode one. Episode one. Kida is now queen and married to Milo, as we expected. He's just part of Atlantis now. Yep. Together, they're using the heart of Atlantis to restore the city to its former glory. They're like building all the technology and rebuilding all the structures and blah blah blah. It's all yeah, all all hunky dory basically. Suddenly, all the fuckers from the first film just show up out of nowhere, and he's like, huh? How did you guys get here? And they don't explain it, and they're just there. We're just here in these planes. Okay. Yep. And Mr. Whitmore arrives as well. 
Yep, that, he's also there. He's I also wanted there. to see. No, oh, yeah, nobody told me there's all this crazy shit that's uh, going well, on. Well, we jumped over one thing because there's a there's a uh, a little scene before this the where a sh- little beast oh, where a ship yeah. gets attacked. Oh, they, in Norwegian or whatever. And Norwegian, it is. yeah. And I'm to, like, se- to set yeah. up the plot that's coming yes. in this episode. Yeah. And they explicitly say, "Oh, it's a lot. It's a lot quieter since those U-boats stopped attacking." Yes. Which means it's at least thirty years since yep. the event of the first film. Yep. Yeah. I, Everyone's I, the same. I feel age. like U-boats might have been around World War One. I'm gonna quick Google because. I had a similar thought to me. I said it before, I was like, I saw like there's a Scandinavian there's, accent. Like, what is this? Like, a, I feel like there's another thing in the third episode as well that means that third it. Episode. That, yeah. Mm. That means it has to be post 1945. See, U boats were around for World War I. Mm, okay. That being said, I also don't know when the fuck this is actually set. They don't clarify. None of them age, essentially, despite That's the, fact the, thing. the whole yeah. thing in the first one, meaning that you had to have the crystals. To not age. But then they've all got. They all went away with crystals. That's you see the, true. You see them all having crystals That's at the true. end of the uh, film. Even so Whitmore has a crystal. So it's possible that they are all just immortal now, and it's thirty years later. But we're not going to mention that. Uh, do they all have the, crystals? Or just all have gold, and he has a crystal. No, they have crystals because they're all wearing them slightly differently. Like the yeah, the demolition yeah. guy has an earring that's yeah. got the crystal in and stuff like that. Yep. So it's not a plot hole that they. It's thirty years and none of them have aged, but it is. Oh, weird as they fuck. just don't address it's it. It's just weird, yeah. As we will get on to in a second, they have come to inform that a mysterious creature is causing trouble in the season in Norway. Ooh. It's some kind Ooh. of, and I quote, Kraken. So technically, I think Kraken might fuck be... Fuck off, a, Matthew. <laughs> a pronunciation. I don't care for it, but it might be. I disagree. I don't like it. Kraken, baby. Damn right, it's Kraken. <laughs> Phonetically, it's Kraken, sure, but... Plenty yeah. of phonetic things, including the word phonetic, are not phonetic. Mm. Phonetically. Kraken to a cold one with the boys. Exactly. <laughs> Kida suspects that the creature might be an Atlantean, so the Leviathan type thing from the first one that we mentioned, and kind of worried about the kind of the, the implications of like, oh no, our technology's getting out there and maybe my father made All the right crimes. decision of... yeah. My father made the right decision of keeping the city hidden and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, they arrive in Norway. <laughs> There's a cut. And discover the mysterious problem is actually a creature known as, as I said, the Kraken. Pause for effect. Which has been attacking shipping freighters and taking their cargo on a cliffside village. It's Lovecraft. It's Shadow over It's Inver. real fucking Lovecrafty. Yeah. Yeah, it's Shadow over Atlantis. Which is cool. I'd love that as an idea. Yeah. Doing a Lovecraftian sequel to Atlantis, I, I sign me the I fuck up. I feel like with if you did a Disney, well, we are doing this, but when you do a Disney sequel, there's like, well, there are certain constraints, certain things mm, that doesn't. I don't know if that's gonna fit. Yeah. Whereas Atlantis, like, do whatever the fuck you like. Yeah, the fact that it's gonna can, fit. Like the fact that they just pivot pretty seamlessly into like, yeah, we're in Innsmouth now. Yeah, it's weird. In Norway. In, yes, Norwegian Innsmouth. Norwegian Innsmouth. That's my favourite Beatles track. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Edgar Volgud. Yep, that's the name of the bad guy. Yep. Uh, he is like the town magistrate, I believe, or something like that. He's something some, like that. Some sure. mayor or bollocks, whatever it is. Yeah. Seems to be controlling the Kraken, except they learn that the Kraken is the master itself and controlling him. So they don't really explain that. It just starts possessing other people, I guess. 
Yeah, they knock yeah. him out, and they're like, "Why is the tentacle still oh, going? It's still moving? Oh no!" Yeah, they it, it seems to have like made a deal with him. It's all very Lovecraftian, very like Warlock from D and D. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to preserve we the life a of the town, sacrifice to Dagon. Yeah, preserve the life of the town and Edgar's lifespan in in, in exchange for the town's souls. Essentially, yes, and like people can't leave the town. Correct stuff. It's Innsmouth. If you don't know Shadow Over Innsmouth, I don't recommend le- reading Lovecraft at this point. <laughs> Terrible, horrible racist. Yeah. But yeah, town of fish people controlled by a kraken, basically. Uh, an elder god under the sea. Mm. They blow up the kraken. Volgod's immortality ceases and he just like turns to dust. And the spirit of the village has restored the end. There's a really, yeah. there's a bit at the end because they've encountered this woman whose name I can't remember during this talk, and she's the one who's kind of told the them. The blonde like, one. The yep. blonde woman yep. is like, oh, he did a deal, and they're like, ooh, tell us more about that. And he's like, she's like, oh, I shouldn't really, but yes, he did a deal with the devil, and now we're blah, blah, blah. And she has got this baby that yep. we never see the face of, yep. and then it ends with her, the episode, the film, this section of the film <laughs> ends with her going like, like, Ah, it's all over now, my sweet child. And now you shall grow up and be the most important thing in the village, or something like that. We never see the baby's face, and I... It's it's a squid baby, It's Yes, it so clearly should be a squid. There should be, like, tentacles coming out as she turns away. Definitely a curse But you never see it. That so clearly feels like some executive saw it and were like, no, 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 that's too scary for for our... We're done. Yeah, Yeah. cut those those last, like, four seconds off of that. Snip, snip, no. Episode two. Fucking hell. Off to the Wild West, everybody. Yep. Yeehaw. Sounds like I'm making this up. I swear to God I'm not. I feel like this one goes a fuck off. Even worse. In the 40s, we think. Either way, it's too late for the West. This this one's the weakest, I think. 100%. Of, if of it was three. 1910, you could argue the West is still yeah. in the semblance of a thing. Yeah. But considering... It's at least... Uh, we'll get to it. What, 1919 at this point? Between 1920 and 1940, 1950, maybe. Somewhere between 1920 and 1950. It operates the entire era of all Indiana Jones. Yes. Yeah, somewhere in the middle of Indiana Jones. It's during Indiana Jones times. Yeah. Yep. There's a bunch of coyote spirit ghost things. Yeah. Made of sand. Made of sand and dust. Yeah. Yeah. They find a hidden city in Arizona that contains a statue that resembles an Atlantean, like, structure and they learn that a sneaky shop owner called Ashton Carnab I hate these names. Ashton Kutcher Ew. <laughs> just pranking he them. was he was punking them <laughs> punking oh, I've been punked there it is yeah, he's been punking them all along intends to pillage the place for its valuables but the spirits then turn him into a creature of dust and sand they, they, yeah he becomes he a, becomes a, a coyote spirit thing. and there's also a Native American a mysterious Native American guy trusts yeah. them with the knowledge of their sanctuary and informs Kida that she can choose Atlantis's destiny. Sure. That's it, basically. He's, he's like a wind spirit ghost he, man. Yeah. He disappears into a sandstorm. I'm here to talk like this for four minutes. And he disappears. Mm-hmm. Great. Anyway, episode three. Yeah. Fucking hell, man. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. They return home and the adventurers discover that one of Whitmore's old competitors, Eric Hellstrom. Great name this time. Good name. Who, after the stock market crash, maybe we can work out when that was. See, that's I- the thing. We can... That I mean, that implies that, that it would be at least twenty nine, because mm. that's the big, that's the, crash. Stock, that's the stock market crash. Okay, God. so that's so that's, that's at least fifteen years after the events of the first one. Okay. 
Sure. This is confusing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he went insane. Uh, you're not. He re- does, if, he like, you don't know this, listeners. You're not ready for this. Uh, he, think, <laughs> he thinks he's Odin. It's a real. It's, it feels. It's quite close to Maxi Zeus. If people are familiar yeah. with that as a Batman yeah, villain, yeah. who's like a rich guy who's convinced he's an Olympian, and this guy is a rich man who lost all his money and therefore became convinced that he's Odin. Yep. Got some ravens and everything. And a wolf. And a wolf. And a wolf. And some lava. He broke into Whitmore's at night and stole one of his possessions, an ancient spear of Atlantean origin. When they track him down to the Scandinavian mountains, we're back in Scandinavia. We've gone Norway, the US, Scandinavia again. If it was just like a random coastal town somewhere in, I don't know, fucking the Caribbean, and it was all just, you know, coastal region towns, but then you got... You know, because it's Atlantean connections. And you're, no, 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 Norway, the middle of the country in America, uh, a desert north. in America. Yeah, yeah. The then south, back to Norway, the southwest, the, the opposite of a sea that yeah, used like, to be a sea millions of huh. years ago. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. When they track him down, he presumes Milo is Loki and Kida to be his long lost daughter Brunhilde. Sure. For his reasons. Then, Odin, quote unquote, uses the spear to cast Milo, Mole, because he's back. Vinny and Audrey out of quote-unquote Asgard before kidnapping Kida and dressing her up in full, like, Valkyrie gear, basically. Yeah, she's a hat. Because it was some some animator's kink. Maybe. (laughs) I was about to say that to him. (laughs) Give the animators something to wank to, I guess. He explains that his intentions are to end the world with Ragnarok. So it's, it's shitty Norse mythology, basically. He creates a lava beast and an ice beast to destroy the world, except they're distracted by some of Vinny's explosives, and Kida retrieves the spear, vanquishes the beast, and then she has a little realisation of like, oh, the Atlantean technology has gotten too powerful, and oh no. Yeah. But my father was wrong to hide it from people. We should... Yeah, we should build this. Yeah. Sort of, I was like, hold on a minute, isn't that the opposite of what you should be yeah. thinking? So, so there's, a, bit there's of a, a lot of Atlantean shit that's caused a lot of problems. Yeah, there's and an interesting she's escalation like, well, where it goes from squidly diddly, oh god, fucking dirt devils. Mm. I don't know should... what that has anything to do with Atlantis. Yeah, and we then, should say because oh, they they initially think, oh, there's some big mechanical monstrosity that's attacking the ships. It's probably an Atlantean wrestling. Makes yeah. sense. But it isn't. It's, it's just a kraken, and it oh yeah, supernatural please, please, stuff. Please, please, kraken. Uh, it's a, thank you. It's a kraken, um, and oh, you know, supernatural stuff exists as well yes. as Atlantis and all the stuff yeah. that's going on there. Like it's you know, oh, let's just throw in the fucking kitchen sink and have everything be real. Yep. Um. So yeah, so that one isn't even actually anything to do with Atlantis. They just assume it is. Yeah. To start with, and then you got the the Dust Devil style. Fucking things go on there. Yes, where and there then, is a there is an Atlantean relic. There is a, there's involved. a connection, yeah. sort of, yeah. And then you have, and this was about the escalation. Then you have these huge, fucking, uh, how do I phrase World this? ending, yeah, consequences, tr- troll like monsters. Yeah, like, yeah they they look feels... like the uh, the Titans from Hercules. That's yeah. exactly what they look like. And I'm like, oh. And then they cause the conclusion that Kira comes to is better slam this stick in the ground and. Combine it with the heart of Atlantis because yeah. that seems like a good idea. Bring Atlantis to the surface. Why do we think this is a good idea? Yeah, I think that they realized they had three episodes of a TV show, decided that they needed to turn it into a film, sort of, and were like, "What can we make the arc of these three ending. things?" 
yeah, because and essentially it has a little voiceover at the end where it's like, um, and that was when everything changed and it all became a lot better. Yep, and it's I, like I, my exact no World War Two era. Um, Atlantis is raised above the water for the first time in over eight thousand years, and Whitmore narrates that from then on the world was a much better place. The end. Yeah. Yeah. It just ends. It just ends, and yeah. um, out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, these thing three that stops the stock essentially unrelated fucking episodes yeah. mushed together, and then the world was a better place. Yeah. So if we presume this is the 30s, and America is going through the Dust Bowl Great Depression, which is affecting yeah. the rest of the world as well, and Hitler's on the rise in Germany and stuff, and again, uh, Japan's invading China and everything, all the fucking horrors going on in Africa and India. Like, yeah. The world's not fucking good right now. How is you appearing yeah. helping anything? I'm sure I'm sure a new nation right or even just a big island in rising in the, the Atlantic mm. uh would be perfectly fine. Oh, what's that? They've got advanced technology and everyone on it lives forever. That won't cause any kind of political yeah. sociological mean repercussions. When they say everything was fine from now on, what they meant was our Atlantean overlords enslaved us. <laughs> That's what happened. They took to yes. the surface and enslaved a human. Yeah. Yes. I've had a lobotomy now, so I can only say everything's better with Atlantis. <laughs> Everything made better with Atlantis. That's like the McDonald's slogan. Yeah. Right? So, Atlantis. Things that annoyed me about even taking these as... Okay, we can't really judge this as a movie. That's the problem we're being expected to, but it's hard to because yeah. it's released it as a movie. Tim. It is. It is released as a movie, in which case it's an abject failure. Yeah, um, agreed. Me even, going ah <laughs> and putting on Spotify does not a song make. Yeah. Um. Even just judging these as a uh, a TV series. Yeah. They introduce an Atlantean pet for them to have round with them, which is like a lava dog thing. It's a lava dog whale platypus thing with six legs. It can fuck off. It can fuck off. It's called like Udi or something like that. Uh, yeah, they introduced the weird little fire dog <laughs> lizard. Yeah. Fuck off. Um fucking the mole solves the problems in every of the episodes. Because mm. he's the kid's character. He's the funny kid's character. He's the, the McDonald's like. Happy he, Meal toy. He's the Happy Meal toy. He finds the, the rock also that's the, the, secret, <laughs> the secret entrance to the Kraken cave where all the that's shit's true. going on. That's true. He, identify, he finds the um, uh, where the, the, the Native American bowl has got to go back to. Yep. Using his dirt powers, his dirt fetish, uh, <laughs> yep. he he finds where it's got to go back to in the desert. I sniffed the dirty feet. Yeah, uh, and then in the third <laughs> one, he uh, he digs a tunnel so that the rest of them can climb back up to as the Asgard flying castle when they've been shoved off of it. Yes, he he is he's the act, the character of the he's ensemble the yeah. that has the most like impact on the result and. Both Kida and Milo kind of don't get. They're just there. They're just there. They're just like hanging around doing things. They're there to say, as in Whitmore's of earlier words, I got all my experts. Don't have an Atlantean expert. Yeah. So come with me. Yeah. Okay. And they're there to say, this is Atlantean. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and get confused. And for Kida is there to repeat the joke from the first one where she gets confused uh, by like, oh, a cookie is a sweet, but sweet is not cookie. Yeah. So sweet stuff. means kindly, right? Yeah. Like, and sweet. Well, he is. Yeah, he is kindly. So all your doctors are kindly? No, some of them. Yeah. I mean, some of them are better bad manner than other, but mm. no, he's sweet. I'm like, 
So he's cookie. No, 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 no. Cookie is a food. Yeah. They is sweet. Oh, yeah. Dear. And they do that joke in Four every episode. Yeah. yeah. It's like, why is it in a glass case? So it can't be stolen. Who would want to steal a glass case? No. <laughs> yeah. That that droning is is the no. level of writing this thing has got. I was like, fuck me. It's, it's flat. But again, it would not be of the upper tier of memorable things. And again, I think Hercules was genuinely one of the, probably the only ones that really worked as a TV series mm. that was actually half decent. And the thing is, is that the end when where Atlantis the Lost Empire ends, mm. there's actually a decent premise for a show there because you go, we've bought the crystal back up. It was hidden away in Atlantis, which meant none of their technology really worked. Yeah. Now they've brought it back above the surface. The technology is coming to life again. Oh, it turns out that from when Atlantis went to war with the world at the start of the film, where everything went wrong. There's a bunch of Atlantean relics out there that have spread around the world through being traded by antiquities. Now they're coming to life and they're causing all kinds of chaos. We've got to go track those down. But instead it goes like, ah, uh, generic monster hunting, I guess. That is in no way really connected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty... This is the thing with this episode. Um, It's quite clean cut. This thing is something that is not fit for purpose that's been repurposed into something that doesn't work. It's objectively poorly structured because it's fundamentally not structured as a movie. Yep. Yeah. And to be honest, like you said, Matt, I think it would work as three episodes of a TV show because you don't have the extra bit to like tie mm. it in. You also don't have the expectations of the animation levels and the budget no, no, and all no, that no. stuff. If not the right TV... voice actors, you don't care. Cause... Exactly. Mm. You have like, oh, can't get Michael J. Fox, James Arnold Taylor. was like, Nailed of it. course Fine. you're getting James Arnold yeah. Taylor. Who else was going to do that voice? But equally, if it was like 12, 20, whatever episodes, the handful that don't work, you go, eh, it's fine. Because yeah. there'd be some that would build to go, that yeah. was a good episode yeah. there. And you could possibly even build to Atlantis rising at the end of the first season. Yeah. And 100%. have that be yeah. like, oh, okay, mm. yeah. We it built crosses over with Stargate Atlantis. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I like I said, I as soon as I saw the first third of the film was like, oh, we're doing Lovecraft. That I would like to see a full film of that and how that works and how like the Atlanteans have encountered Krakens before and they could do mm. this whole thing like tying back into like I mean it's it's mental the fact mm. that Essentially, episode one of the TV show is a fucking HP Lovecraft. Because <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the kind. Weird. I feel like that's the kind of shit I would do. And now I've become. I'm very the crossover guy of like, <laughs> oh, I put Spider Man in my blade. Let's put some fucking Cthulhu in my Atlantis. Like, that's quite a cool idea. Actually, mm. doesn't work as a kids' movie, but it's quite a cool idea. I would quite like to see that. And I think what you're about to say there, Tim, is I'm intrigued to see what you've done, <laughs> yeah. Matthew. Okay. I, okay, because because yeah, you could. You could. You, if I was doing I mean, it, that's totally what I would do. Yeah, you could take, <clears throat> in theory, you could uh -oh. take any of these individual episodes and go, okay, I'm going to run with it. I'm going to run with that. Not the coyote one. Not the coyote one, because it's the worst of them. Yeah. No, I make it, yeah. You nope. could kind the only of... spirit coyote I care about is voiced by Johnny Cash. <laughs> yeah. Brave star. <laughs> um, yeah, the other two kind of work to a certain degree. Sure. There would be things you could tweak, or you could just go, well, this was clearly a TV show. I'm going to make a fucking movie so I can do whatever the fuck I want. Hello. Oh, no. Matthew's done a Matthew. I, I made a... Okay. But I, I've already won and nailed it because you made this a has movie? a narrative that works. Yes. Oh. <laughs> you didn't write three completely separate, disparate narratives. And then I didn't just... say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's no, still an anthology piece. No, yeah, but, you it's know. still a mess. You better um, have done that. One no, of, them, one of them's traditionally animated, one's computer animated, and one is uh, stop, stop motion. motion. Yeah. 
I thought you were going to say unpleasant live action for some <laughs> a bunch of cosplayers and stuff. Yeah, it's called Rescue Rangers. It's a Chip and Dale <laughs> movie, God. and it works fine. Anyway. Um, I have fixed it, yeah. We should get to your fix, Matthew. Let's get to it. Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. I've, I've used HelloFresh in the past, uh, largely because my parents were using it. Um, not even time to cook meals is a reality for many of us, and giving you the exact ingredients is one of the best ways to expand your taste horizons at the end of the day. So I genuinely support this service, and if you go to the link in our show notes, you can get 50% off your first box and then 35 off your next three boxes. Which is nice, rather than just being one thing, it's a handful. Continuous savings. Yeah, exactly. That's the link in the show notes for 50% off your first box and then 35% off your next three boxes. Hello Fresh, the number one meal kit. We're also sponsored by Audible. Audible has thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, comedy specials, and so much more. And we're here to enhance this fantastic experience because if you head to audibletrial.com slash sequel, you can get a month free and an audiobook on us. I'm going to recommend A Brief History of Atlantis by Stephen Kershaw. A look at the uh, Plato's Socratic dialogue about a fictitious society. Because everyone forgets that Atlantis is a thought experiment about what if there was this place, say it sunk into the sea, but it was this one place where these things happened. And I went, oh, a city in the sea. No, no, I didn't say that. I said, what if there's a place? No, no, no. Oh, it's. And that's how we are where we are now. Some Greek. <laughs> not saying it was aliens. Yeah. But it was aliens. Some Greek boy said, what if? And we're all gone, it's a real thing. I want to find it. Because we're dumb. I mean, it doesn't help that it just ends halfway through. It's that, that then lends it an aura of mystery. Like exactly. Maybe, maybe the Illuminati got to him before he could write down more secrets of Atlantis. Oh, like, no. God. We just lost. The thing. Yeah, the amount of Greek text we've lost, but fuck's sake. By the way, if you want to have that, there are there obviously, there, as we were discussing in, in the interim period, there are so many books on Atlantis, both fictional and quirky and pseudoscience realism stuff. You can get so many things, or, you know, a decent actual book. So get on down to audibletrial.com slash sequel for a month free and an audiobook on us. Audible moistening your ears one word at a time. Let's talk about the fruit that is the tomato. Ooh. And how it rots. It's, oh, not delicious fresh tomatoes. Well, nah. we, don't, we don't know. We've got to guess. I would put money on <laughs> at least one of these does not have any fresh tomatoes, Tim. This punnet of filth. Right, so it's very simple. Atlantis, the Lost Empire, Atlantis 2, Milo's Return. No and Stargate Atlantis, around. right? Ah. <laughs> Star you missed a trick there, Snogden. It's a TV series. I'm not yeah, gonna... it is. But I could do Stargate, but I'm not going to. No, um, okay, so let's come to Tim Matum first. What are your thoughts on Atlantis in terms of Rotten Tomato scores only? Please, Tim. I know it got a mixed reaction Me too. from critics. Yes. And I doubt Mm, mm. It might have improved a little bit mm. over time with retroactive reviews, mm. but I don't think that will have completely like 
I just did the meme face of the woman being like, mm, yeah. Then, mm, I think it's kombucha. more likely yeah. to yeah. have a weirdly high audience score. Mm. But sure. from a critic's point of view, I'm going to go straight down the middle and say 50%. I bang had the same idea, Tim. <laughs> you motherfucker. Jack, are you going to try and prices right this? I'm going to have to prices right this because there's bang in the middle. Do you think it's a little it's, better than it's, it's me, the, it's or a little the worse than prices right? I'm either one percent higher and I nail it, like because it's going to be yep. higher, or one percent lower yourself. and I nail it and I fuck myself, or who knows? It's a coin, co- coin toss. It's a coin toss. <laughs> it's a coin toss. It's a coin toss. Gentlemen, touch coin your tosses. Ah, higher or lower. I think it's divisive enough that I will go lower. 49%. <laughs> Fuck you, Tim. <laughs> Timothy Matum, Atlantis to Milo's Boogaloo. Atlantean Boogaloo. <laughs> okay. I'm going to work on the assumption that it does have a score. Because we have, we have had a couple recently. We've had a couple. Mean Girls 2 did not have a score. Yeah. Straight to DVD sequel. It's it's always yeah. gone straight to DVD stuff, but Disney oh, could be. I, I'm again not implying anything. I'm just saying, if I was in your situation right now, I'd be like, yeah, it's fifty fifty again. Is it going to be there or not? Yeah. So working on the assumption that it does, I am going to say twenty percent. Okay. I had fifteen in my head, so I'll oh. go for that. Fifteen. What are the scores, Matthew? The scores are technically Jack has won. Hey. However, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I knew there was a buck coming. Now, to be a... fair, <clears throat> as we knew, Tim going 50 and then literally Price is Right 51 or 49 was going to be a coin toss. So, fair play. That being said, it is exactly 49. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So if you'd have gone 48, we would have drawn. Draw. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. It, in fact, if you'd have said anything, anything else... else. Yeah. <laughs> It yeah. would have been, yeah, no, yeah. So oh, that's that, now. a well, mm. a well, well played. Well played. Prices, oh, it's a bit dirty tactics, but it worked. I mean, it, yeah, no, it was necessary. I think. Now here's here's the weird thing. Uh-oh. Audience score. Oh no! Give me your expectation. Like, there's no like, no stakes. I'm just out curious what you think. Higher. It's gonna be higher for sure. Yeah, I think like a. There's enough weird Disney nostalgia bollocks. Sixty-five. I was thinking, you motherfucker. We're on the same wavelength. See, I'd have sat like 70, 75 as well. That's sort of like, oh mm, yeah, yeah, sixty, seventy-ish. Yeah, no, really, fifty-four. Huh. Ah, to this day, ever so slightly higher. Still not a thing yeah, people get on with. I mean, all three of us were like, eh. I think, I think yeah. that's the thing that the people who like it are vocal about liking it, but it's one of those things where like. Yeah, if it hits for you, it, it hits hard, but the rest of us are just like, eh, it's fine. I'm not going to be energized enough to talk about it unless I've got... Oh, wait, no, here we have two yeah. and a half hour podcast. And this is still the Rotten Tomato score of three out of five, 60% is positive. Correct. Yeah. Which is probably what I would give Atlantis, to be honest, is a three out of five. Yeah. A two or a three, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I think there was enough people, you're exactly right, Matthew, would be like, ah, it's a two or a three, and tip over into a 50%, yes. 55%, mm, yes. five out of 10 Enough of that, that Rotten Tomatoes grey area to make it confusing and, and saying it's a three Rotten out of five, Tomatoes but it's a negative. It's like Rotten oh. Tomatoes is a big mess. And anyway. as, as, I think especially people remembering it in the context of like it's no Lion. It, it, it is a Disney film. It's no Lion King though, is it? It's no Beauty and the Beast. It's or, no Aladdin. Yeah. People like me are like, oh, Treasure Planet is so good. Oh, it's that other one as well. What's it called? Mm. Um, Chicken Little. Titan, <laughs> Titan A.E. Yeah, yeah. Home, home on the range. Bear. 
Yeah, um, exactly. And then considering the year before, a film I'm not really a big fan of, but fans of it fucking love it, Emperor's New Groove. Oh, yeah. People love that shit. So Atlantis is just this weird bastard it's another, in the middle. It's fine for me. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Right, here we go, weirdness. Atlantis 2, Milo's Return. It doesn't count. It's a non-qualifier. Uh, it's a non-one. So okay. it's irrelevant. But I was going to see, because I thought to myself, well, how many reviews are there? This worked for me on uh, yeah. Mean Girls 2, sort of-ish. Yeah, so if there are... Even it was ended up being 50%. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, no yeah. Sense. There's one review, and I thought, oh, shit. one? Okay, let's see what mm. it says. But then you click on it, and suddenly there's no review. Ah. It's just... Lost to the annals of time. Yeah. Just not there. Sunk beneath the waves like yeah. an ancient city. It acknowledges it exists, but not really. So Theorised by Plato himself. There is, however... A audience score. Interesting. Would you like to have a little guess, boys? Much lower. Mm. We only had 54 in the first one, though, so it's going to be... I'm Honestly, I think we're probably pretty close. I would guess slightly higher because the audience is always generous. Fucking 25, something like that. I'm going to stick exactly where I was and say 20. Fair enough. Jack nailed it, 25. Ah. On the nose. Because, again, I think even-numbered... Sc- yeah. Things. done well with this. Yeah. Nice. Well played. Yeah. Um, well, bloody hell. Before we get into my fix, you were going to talk about an alternate possible fix in an yes. alternate universe so, where they got round to one. Yeah. So there was an article on Collider a couple of years ago, weirdly enough, in 2020, because we're coming up coming up to the 20-year anniversary. We've now passed the anniversary, yeah. We're now past it, but they were coming up to it at the time. And it's an interview with the co-director, Kirk Wise, talking about the details for a proposed sequel, basically. And everybody was like, well, there's already a sequel to Atlantis. It was shit. Like, I don't know, we plan to do a full, big-budget, feature-length one. Before we get to that, there's another part of this article, and I'd like to ask you guys a question as well. So, I'll read this from the article in Collider. Mm-hmm. Back when the studio was really hot on the property, they had a number of projects in various stages of development at other business units. One of them was Team Atlantis, which was the name of the proposed TV show. Stargate. Mm-hmm. would follow the members of the expedition as they investigated other strange phenomena all across the globe. Sounds familiar. Yes. It would have been like an animated steampunk X-Files. So Monster of the Week type that's stuff. That's cool. Matt just got a boner. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It would have also crossed over with something else. Another, another animated series. What would it was what was it planned to cross over with? Tim I know Lick. this. Looks like he knows. I don't think I know at all. Yeah, go ahead. Have a guess, Matt. If you if you know Tim, don't say I, anything. Yeah. Is it another Disney? It's a Disney animated series around this a era. animated series. Correct. I don't think of any Disney series now. They're all gone out of my head. Um, mm. Mm. A lot of people fucking love it. If you haven't seen it, Basil nope. the Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> no. Tim? It was Gargoyles. Fucking Gargoyles. I forget that's Disney. Fucking hell. Yep. Shit. That's weird. Yep. Proposed to crossover with Gargoyles. And uh, we get into a sec here. We talk about the casting and stuff. Um, He's going to have uh, Marina, Dana, Sirtis Marina Sirtis was going to come back as. Demona, I yes, she was going to be the crossover God character damn. to cross over to it. Yeah, exactly. Instead, they had planned to do a full theatrical sequel, but that is the the original three episodes. As we said, it was originally two and a half at the time of sure. turning it into a film and all this bollocks. That is what ended up being Milo's return. So, yeah, very clearly stitched together a bunch of episodes that is not a feature film. No, however, uh, let's go. see how much of the, uh, I've accidentally. I, I'm on. fascinated to see if you've gone in a similar direction because this sounds interesting. I'm Collider seems very positive, and I'm like, all right, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, that's the internet for you. Calm hey, down. Here's the quote from Kirk Wise, the co-director of the original film: "We were going to have a new villain in the story. The villain was going to be wearing a big, scary, wool, bulky World War One style clothing. A weird sentence. 
A coat. With the, <laughs> yeah. That's a coat. It's a yeah. Bane coat, basically. <laughs> yeah. And a frightening gas mask, so Bane, to obscure <laughs> its face, a kind of like Darth Vader-esque villain. And this villain was going to try and retake Atlantis and finish the job that Rourke was unable to accomplish. And then there was a big twist in the climax of the movie. Okay. What was the twist, gentlemen? Uh, it was Doc Brown. <laughs> Great was, Scott! It was Milo's dad. Grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Th- that one back from the dead, right? No, it's Helga. What? Oh. Uh-huh. So he- this is back to this is a separate quote, but back to why he's here. So Helga survived her fall. Are you ready for this sentence? Became an early 20th century cyborg and started her own team of mercenaries. <laughs> I don't know if I love it um, or this is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life, but it kind of sounds like a sequel. Has this pitch? Oh, yeah, yeah, I could see it. I could see it. Uh, Wise says, referencing her supposed demise in the fiery climax of Atlantis, while characters returning from the grave can be sometimes iffy, this sounds like the perfect way for the character to return. <laughs> and we love the idea that she'd be the big bad this time around. I'm not as convinced as the uh, no, she as, wasn't as, as Drew Taylor from Collider. She is. had a redemption, so I feel like yeah, making a bad guy's a bit cheap. Yeah, agreed. So yeah, that was the proposed sequel, the TV show that was supposed to cross over with Gargoyles that ended up not getting made, called Team Atlantis, which ended up being Milo's uh-huh. return, and then Helga comes back as a quote-unquote 20th century cyborg. It's steampunky, but uh. assume you've not done that, then Matt. Not exactly. Okay. <laughs> Close there, right? But not not that. It's not not that. But I have done the it, thing that's going to fuck off a lot of people who like the film Atlantis. Jack, what's your, what's the best part about Atlantis other than the animation? Uh, the cyborgs. <laughs> <laughs> all the cyborgs. Armies of cyborgs. Uh, the supporting cast. Yeah, the no, no they're all gone. Mm. I've been them. That's best bold. That is bold. I've been them. Interesting. I've been them because World War One happened and it's I've just done 1917. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's just Milo running and the shot's really long and then Yeah. That's yeah. moving. People are bumping it. into him and stuff. <laughs> yeah. The whole yeah. Thing. All right, here we go. I've done a film and to be fair, this is I said we laid the groundwork for this already. It's a film nobody gives a shit about, really. And we have established from the critics <laughs> voice. This is one of those weird cult yeah. ones. You're not going to get the biggest... There's pro- definitely going to be... There's, there's a cult following. There's, there's going to be presence. some people on our Discord who are like, I fucking loved this. Uh, I absolutely know there are. And hello, hopefully I'll give you something you didn't ask for, didn't <laughs> want. But you know what? Better than three fucking random episodes of a TV series with fucking Odin in it. Yep. He says, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, But no, I... I, I um. This is a property that, at the end of the day, nobody is overly precious about, at Disney at least. Mm-hmm. So we can do whatever we want with it. Not oh even, yeah, Disney... not even Kirk Wise, the co-director. Yeah, Disney clearly doesn't give no. a fuck about this. And so I made two or three logical choices straight away and said, I'm just going to pick this lane and stick to it. Uh-oh. It makes sense. It would strike for this, so on and so forth. The film is called Atlantis II, The Crystal Child. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Interesting. Now, here's the key point. I'm releasing this in 2021. Oh, oh nice. For okay. the 20-year anniversary. It will be, to Nick something that Tim did a little while ago, a Disney Plus exclusive. Uh, okay. That makes sense. Uh, launching of Disney Plus in 2020. Part of that was because of the anniversary, but partly because it's not like, like the Rescue Rangers movie. It's not big enough for a theatrical release, obviously with the pandemic raging and things. But it would always be like a, do you remember Atlantis? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's back in pog form. <laughs> yeah, precisely. And if you don't remember Atlantis, 
it's on our fucking streaming service. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, I've pitched this to an audience of millennials <laughs> who will remember that and go, yeah. oh, I think I, re- I like that film. I think I like that mignolary darkness. Mm. And I've grown up with... Dark- I'm not making this story for eight-year-olds. I'm making it... Let's face it, Atlantis didn't really always feel like it was made for eight-year-olds. It was trying to pitch older and didn't yeah, do it very well. And you'll potentially also get the... I was 11 when I saw this and I loved it and now I have a child and now I shall make you watch it. Exactly. And that's what I'm... Uh, in, weirdly, but they did with The Incredibles. Because mm. Incredibles is never really a, a kid's film. It's about family. Yeah. And you, yeah. To, uh, you relate to that stuff. Incredibles 2 especially is like, um, should I see the first film? Look, I've been waiting 20 years for this. Okay, this one's for me, not for you, kid. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that happening yeah. in Incredibles 2. Yeah. And Incredibles 2 is like, what about the kid's story of like, school and no 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 that's no, not what it's about it's about the mum and dad because it's always been about the mum and dad mm. but anyway there we go so i've done this sort of route specifically it's that kind of story um cast milo thatch michael j fox now obviously michael j fox is not a well individual um parkinson's he's had parkinson's that's for what a while that's now, what i'm yeah. saying mm. he is he's unable to do certain things performance wise things that being said He's not the main character of my movie. Oh. This will not be a problem. Okay. 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 Um, and also, it's a voice role. And it's a voice role. We it's can get not that. as demanding. We have the patience yeah. to get it done yeah. properly. I think it won't be as demanding. He'll be able to do this. Yeah. It shouldn't be too yeah, problematic. Uh, Kida, Cree Summer's back as well. Good. Great. Fair. That's it. Oh, my God, Matthew. Fucking hell. That's it. You can eat it. Right. New cast. Kashek. Darren Chris. Uh, he was a voice actor in The Wind Rises, Ghibli film. Mm-hmm. Tell Princess Kaguya, Ghibli film. And Your Superman. Man of, uh, my favorite Ghibli film, correct? Yeah. Um, well, the, the best. My favorite is Porco Rosso. But oh, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. And Superman, Man of Tomorrow. So again, I've done the thing where I'm like, oh, he's an actor. Yes, he's been in stuff, but he's also voice acting a voice stuff. actor. I'm yeah. sort of a little bit stepping came, away. Came up through Glee and has done Precisely. various other bits. Mm-hmm. One of the non, one of the few non-problematic members of the Glee. Club. <laughs> yes, so far, so far. Kim, Keisha Castle Hughes, who oh, was in Whale yes. Rider and mm-hmm. Revenge of the Sith, and most identifiably for most people, Game of Thrones. Yeah, as one of the Sand Sisters sibling mm-hmm. things. I'll I'll skip over one here because this is the oh it's the big actor of our film. Mm-hmm. Um, Harley Bridget Lundy Payne. Oh, um, yes. Mm-hmm, who's in Bombshell, and then most notably in Bill and Ted Face the Music mm-hmm. as Ted's kid. Yeah. She's also in Atypical on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, the role of Aaron Vink is being played by Pilo Aspek, who is in Ghost in the Shell and Overlord and Uncharted film-wise, but is also in Game, Game of, of Thrones, Thrones. Yeah. as Euron Greyjoy. Yeah. Uh, is he trying to stick anything up anyone's bums in this? <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm going to fuck your ass. Is the first thing he says when he arrives. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Milo. I'd like to stick a finger up your bum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Oh my god. Oh, okay. Annika. Turned into Morty. That's what Rick and Morty yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, Annika is being played by Lisa Vicari, who is a German actor from Issy and Ossi, and also the series. Your favorite. Dark. Dark. Yay. She's fucking great in that. Uh, and then, kind of out of nowhere, Dr. Berker, Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme, 
I'm of yeah. Expendables 2, Kung Fu Panda 3, and Kickboxer Vengeance fame. <laughs> and obviously all the fucking Time Cop and everything else. I was going to say, we covered Time Cop in a previous season. Yeah, I think you mean the Berlin decision. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do- My God. Dr. Burka has been played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I keep thinking about how he's in Kung Fu Panda and think, oh yeah, he mm. can play silly. This is fine. He's, he's a quite a minor role in Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. Oh, he is. He's Kung Fu Panda? Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, Kung Fu Panda. He is, and he's a fairly minor one in this one, but he's also quite pivotal. Um, the big name actor, shall we say, in this. Oh, the... that wasn't your big name that you were waiting to draw. <laughs> no, <it wasn't. laughs> Imagine if it are. Save no. the best for last. JCVD. <laughs> no. Uh, in the role of Malone, Bradley Cooper. Ah, oh, okay. this will Raccoon himself. Yeah, uh, Star is Born, Avengers Endgame, Nightmare Alley around this time. Again, an actor who we could just have a Bradley Cooper voice, or he could do a voice. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, so I was very pleasantly surprised when he started doing Rocket Raccoon, and it's not oh, just Bradley Cooper. So I'm good. So yeah, because yeah. I I've spoken before about my annoyance, the fact that. Pikachu? Pikachu, Detective Pikachu just, just sounds like Ryan Reynolds, Reynolds and yeah. it very... sounds like Deadpool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Seth too. Green, at least he does a voice as well with Howard the Duck. It's they're doing voices, and I'm like, yep. yeah, good. Yeah. Vin Diesel does a voice as Groot, and I'm like, yeah, yeah good. Yeah, yeah. So my director, Brenda Chapman. Brenda Chapman was one of the directors on The Prince of Egypt and directed Brave as well. Matt fucking loves Prince of Egypt. I do love Prince of Egypt. I think this film is going for a tone that Disney doesn't usually go for. You bloody love Prince of Egypt. I remember you talked about it. What episode was it? Was that just animated film? Musicals? Musicals. Yeah, it was, that was musicals. It. You motherfucker. Fucking score slaps. Anyway, um, it is at the 20th anniversary of the film. It's a Disney Plus thing. I've gone in a very different direction with this. I've told a story that's more mature, but also covers a lot of different things. And I've dismissed everything about Atlantis entirely and thrown it in the bin. And said, I don't care. Ready? Yeah, as ready as we will ever be. 1920. Milo and Kida are regaling a bedtime story for their twin toddlers, Kashek and Kim. Ah. Mm -hmm. One which outlines the key events of the first film, for anyone who doesn't know the first one. Yeah. We are then treated to a title sequence illustrating how Atlantis has remained hidden while the surface world evolves. In the wake of the 1929 stock market crash, we're very clearly establishing the timeline here. We see a funeral procession for Preston B. Whitmore. Because that motherfucker was old at the first mm-hmm. film. He was, yeah. Followed... He's got a crystal that keeps him alive forever. Ah. Uh-huh. Followed by a private will reading that details all of Whitmore's possessions will pass to his only living relative in the Netherlands, entrepreneur Arend Vink. And he's going to put it all up his bum. <laughs> <laughs> I found the crystal. It's going up my bum. Sharp, but I'll do it. <laughs> 1934, 20 mm. years after the first film. Mm. So it's real-time movings. Oh, we yeah, yeah. return to Atlantis. Ah. And the teenage Kashek and Kim running amok across the city before finally arriving late to a great banquet. I've decided that they just age, age. normally until they hit teens or late teens, 20s, and they just, then they stop aging. Until they're sexually appropriate. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Such is the way. Yeah, I've just, I just decided yeah. that because I'm like, this doesn't make sense. There'd be children around. There'd be all. It's a stupid yeah. society. Mm-hmm. During the meal, Milo and Kida express how happy they are with their children, but Kida becomes weak and collapses. In private, Kida says that she can sense the crystal given to Whitmore has fallen into the wrong hands mm. and fears its misuse, 
possibly leading to another cataclysmic event. While the Atlanteans debate what to do, the twins sneak off and head to the surface to recover the crystal. Kashek, the more studious of the two, has jerry-rigged a tracker, and following the signal, the pair set off towards Europe. Film about the kids. Kid movie. Right. Kid movie on the surface. It's a fish out of water tale. Get it? Luca. Fish? <laughs> Matt, you're you're lining up the puns on this one. Fish? Atlantis? I'm doing something... Out of water? Repugnant to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead. In Amsterdam, we follow an American journalist, Malone, as he breaks into Vink Enterprises headquarters. He mutters to himself, going over his notes and trying to understand how all the evidence aligns, and we learn that Vink Enterprises has established a new contract with the Dutch government to create a mechanised military for what is likely to be a Second World War. My God. But we've just had the Great War, the war to end all wars. How how is it possible? That's not going to happen. Those bloody Dutch. (laughs) To quote Michael (laughs) (laughs) Caine. To quote... Mr. Powers, I can't remember his first name. Nigel. Nigel, thank you. Yeah. Nigel, of course it's Nigel. Nigel Powers. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was a Dutch. <laughs> Malone believes that if he can get someone still inside the company to testify how this technology could be misused, it could bring Vink's nefarious company down. He has also learned that his best hope is a mysterious, illegitimate heir that he is intent on discovering and hopefully turning. So immediately, it's not very, like, usual Disney sequel, but then neither's Atlantis The Lost Empire. So I'm like, eh, this works. Yeah. Mm. It's a bit, again, it's a bit more the, mature of, like, animated movie, basically. Well, the, the, the first, Atlantis The Lost Empire has some very noir stuff at the beginning, but it quickly abandons. It does. Um, I've stuck with it. Helga yeah. is very femme fatale for all of eight seconds. Yes. And makes a weird Father Christmas joke that I kind of glossed over. She does. Mm. How did you get in here? I came down the chimney. Ho, ho, ho. Okay. <laughs> is the chimney my dick? Is that, is that funny? Are you trying to be <laughs> sexy? I don't know. I think that's the thing. Is it's mm. too alluring. It's, it's, the, it's Kate Blanchett in Nightmare Alley. You're like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this erection. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can, I can see Bradley Cooper, also speaking about Nightmare Alley, yeah. doing uh, like 30s uh, investigative yeah, detective yeah. voice. That's yeah. exactly what I want. Maybe a boss on your New York kind of thing. Like, yeah. I gotta get inside this thing here. Yeah, I think he would. Yeah, and that's why I'm gonna want to yeah. bring someone in who'd be a voice actor kind yeah. of presence. Yes, yeah. a slightly toned down rocket, rocket raccoon. raccoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. The twin Atlanteans arrive in Amsterdam, and we are treated to literal fish out of water hijinks. You're, um, right. you're putting. Oh, 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 you've said like three puns throughout the course of this episode, and you're putting puns in your pitches now. I pull up. So most... that is a conscious decision. For want of a better phrase, putting pen to paper. In black here's, and white, in the pitch, who are you and what have you done with Matthew Here's an Stockton? aside. The other day, uh, literally Saturday, we were filming. I was filming with Ashens, and we bumped into Alec, and mm. I gave him a hug. I feel like Alec has literally their rubbed puns off on rubbed you. off on me. <laughs> Plowshens have rubbed off on you. Yeah, in the most sexual way possible. He says, having written this two months ago, um, but that's my excuse. Anyway, so yeah, they do the Luca thing. They do the Aquaman thing. Oh my god, the surface is amazing. They they lie to us, teenagers. You know, day out kind of thing. Mm. After a prolonged but enjoyable sequence. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have to say it's welcome, but it's decent. That's how I describe making love with me. <laughs> it's funny to say, because into the red light district. What, literal um, fish out of water hijinks? Yeah. <laughs> Kashek's tracker indicates the crystal could be within a large mansion with a giant V on the gate. 
Apple vagina. I would nearly said that and thought, no, I, I won't bother. That's why I looked at you. <laughs> Inside said mansion, Malone stalks the corridors, avoiding detection and finally discovers a locked off room in an entirely separate wing. It's gone a bit Tintin, basically, as well. Mm-hmm. Inside is a pale teenage boy named Harley. Malone vows to break the kid out if they can get him an interview. Harley is in a sort of muted way that hides their excitement, uh, agrees to accompany Malone and give the interview. So it's always a case of like, mm, yeah, I'll do it. But it's mm-hmm. very subdued and a bit odd. Mm-hmm. As the pair break out, they are caught in the corridor by the twins. The awkward interaction between them alerts their presence to a staff member who sounds an alarm. After the group reluctantly agree escaping together is preferable to being caught and made to identify the others, we get a big chase sequence through the mansion and into the streets of Amsterdam. Our leads then make their way into a tunnel under the canals and lose their pursuers. It's a cool action sequence. It's chase. It's cool. Insert cool action sequence here. Insert here. In his factory, Aaron Vink is notified that Harley is gone and flies into a rage. Vink expresses how important Harley is to his plans and sends a team of hired goons on a retrieval mission. From a hidden ventilation grate, a mysterious figure called Aneka. Annika. Annika. Like rice. Sure. <laughs> oh, you're too young for that. I've, I've heard of the name. Yeah, Annika Rice. No, Annika. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. That's, that's our, our German actor. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Overhears this order and also heads out. Meanwhile, the heroes get to know one another, but manage to keep their respective identities secret. Are they not blue and glowing white hair and stuff? They land- no, they don't necessarily glow on the surface. They're just literally just... They don't necessarily they look- glow on the surface. Well, yeah, we, we, when they... Okay, so they don't necessarily glow... I, they I mean, they don't literally glow, but they have like... They have blue they're, tattoos and stuff. Yeah, they'd just blue be, tattoos they'd and just white. They'd just be yeah, weird looking, I guess. I'd say during, during their uh, opening montage, they're like nabbing local clothes and stuff and trying to blend in. Do a bit of white face. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Amsterdam face. Um, I don't know what that is. Uh, yes, yeah, so no, so it, that's, that's the part of the comic. Like, you guys from around here? It's like, what about you? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm from, oh, uh, I'm like from Boston. From around here. Yeah, that yeah. kind of, yeah. Okay. It's like, well, you guys, and, bo- and again, it's the whole, like, you know, no one wants to pry too deeply because no one should be there anyway. And Harley's like not saying much anyway. And everybody feels out of place is what I'm trying to sort of get mm. at here. And they're all like, it's clearly obvious this misfit bunch don't belong here. And yet we're all not talking about it. That kind of energy. Fair enough. If okay. that makes sense. Through a conversation about the ocean, Kim and Harley grow close. Oh, teenage romance. Mm. Kim confides this to her brother and admits she doesn't know why she's drawn to Harley. Kashek winds her up saying, it's obvious why. Teenager romance. Teenagers just... Oh, well, that sounds weird. Nope. Stop I mean... that sentence while you're ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before you yeah. get arrested. <laughs> I thought it'd be funny. I thought, That's weird. Nope. A meeting is held between Vink and various heads of state. Uh, despite the magnate projecting an image of a smooth operation, one minister slams down a newspaper reporting on the chase earlier, stating, in this town, news travels fast. How I get around why there's a headline so quickly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Vink feigns an apology and tries to assuage his guests, but is clearly losing his patience dealing with bureaucrats who can't understand his vision. Typical fucking bureaucrat. Yep. Put this newspaper up your bum. <laughs> <laughs> Can we please just keep referring to that? <laughs> That's all we're going to bring yeah. up now. And no one's seen like does. seen a Game of Thrones. Go, like, what the fuck do I keep saying this for? Anyway, so underground, Malone and the kids make their way through an old tunnel network that leads to a large chasm separated by an old rickety service bridge. Before going any further, the group say they have to formulate a plan to expose Vink Enterprises. The twins have little real interest in this, but feel it will align with their goals. 
While they're crossing the bridge, uh, Annika appears and ambushes them. An impressive and perilous fight ensues before Annika holds out a rod-like device which causes Harley to collapse. Mm. With the unconscious teen in tow, Annika escapes by cutting the rope holding up the bridge. Malone and the twins are shocked, no idea of the assassin's identity, and unsure how to pursue. Malone suggests they talk with the original contact that got him into Bink Enterprises for answers. Okay. Mm. Making her way through various tunnels, it's clear Annika knows this underground network well. How, how old is Annika, by the way? She's like 17 or 18. Okay, so she's oh, young okay. as well. She's okay. also young. Okay. Mm. Reaching a compartment, she opens the pressure door and sets Harley down. Taking the rod out again, she presses a button and Harley wakes, a little startled. Annika openly reveals herself to be a former Vink Enterprises employee and admits she can reclaim her place with Harley as a prize. Harley asks why Annika is revealing this, to which Annika softly admits it's complicated. She then explains she was not the only assassin sent after Harley, so they will need a disguise. Annika then apologises and taps another button on the rod, which causes Harley's head to dip and an opening to appear on the back of their neck. Mm. Mm. You did do 20th century cyborgs. <laughs> Annika places I mean. the rod in the gap and begins rotating it like a combination safe lock. We've, we've all done that. As yeah. she does, Harley's hair begins to grow. Think what? of the toys, guys. Think of the toys. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, I thought that fucking grow your own hair doll thing, yeah. whatever yeah. that was called. That grow your own fucking hair doll. <laughs> The latest, grow your own fucking hair doll. <laughs> Sally Longshanks. It was, it was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Before entering, Malone explains to the twins that they have arrived at the house of Dr. Budka, a.k.a. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah. A research scientist and experienced kickboxer for some reason. <laughs> I added that bit. Who was mysteriously fired. Was it for kickboxing people? What a Did you get people to read the bottom of his shoes? Constantly <laughs> doing the splits. Yeah. Read between the lines. <laughs> he then says he can be a little odd, which is code word for Belgian. Can <laughs> <laughs> be a little Flemish. <laughs> Dr. Burke reviews his entry to the guests. Brackets. It's funny. Thank yeah, you. it's the classic, like, you know. He's doing the splits. Knock, knock, knock. Hello. It's like, hey, hey, you gotta let me in, Doc. And it's like, no, I can't possibly. I was like, what the fuck is this? It's Is he Jean-Claude actually throwing Jean-Claude Van Damme style kick? He might be. I don't know yet. Sign me up. He's, he's, a, he's an oddball in the same way that the other supporting cast were oddballs. He's not a full fetish. He's just... a token Frenchman again, basically. but Kind of. But a Belgian this yeah. time. Also has a dirt fetish. Yes. <laughs> just coincidentally. <laughs> Filth monger. Yeah. And is very flighty, but when he hears about Harley, he opens up. Letting the visitors inside, Dr. Burke explains that Harley is not Fink's child, but a master golem. Mm-hmm. Mm. Going Jewish on her ass, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Dr. Burke recalls the story of Der Golem, an animated clay being. The doctor explains that Vink acquired an unusual crystal and put Burke in charge of researching it. Harley was created as a test to see if the crystal could animate an automaton, but the crystal fused with Harley and cannot be removed without breaking it. Vink demanded production of an entire army of automaton warriors who could be controlled by Harley. Burke protested and was fired and was threatened with ruin if he spoke out. Knowing Harley was being kept hostage, the doctor was more than happy to speak with Malone when his investigation brought him to his door. What makes sense so far? 
Yeah. 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 On the streets of Amsterdam, Annika and Harley make their way to Vink Enterprises' main factory, or major factory, I should say. Harley, for all intents and purposes, now has female features and attire. The two cautiously bond as they pass a market. As Harley learns more about Annika, their relationship becomes complicated. Less hostage and kidnapper, more kindred spirits with the same frustrations that manifest differently. Passing a market stall, Harley causes a scene, and Annika wonders if her interference has caused Harley's programming to glitch. Subsequently, Annika starts to doubt if she is doing the right thing, but buries her concerns and carries on. Dr. Boker shows Malone and the twins a device he used to work on Harley. He explains it was a prototype for an activation rod, which was stolen. The device... Which we've obviously seen now, that's referring to the... Yeah, sorry. The device suddenly goes haywire around the twins before exploding. In the rubble, the twins finally open up and confess their identities. Both Malone and Dr. Boker are amazed. Naturally, Malone feels this is the scoop of the century, but after a lot of persuading, he swears to keep Atlantis a secret, agreeing that getting the crystal out of Vink Enterprise's hands is most important. Motivated, they set to planning how to get Harley back. The twins twirl spanners and get to work. Oh, completely arbitrary thing I completely forgot about. And Jack mentioned it earlier. I just glazed over it because I wasn't... Cyborgs? No, no, no. I should mention, they're half human as well, obviously, because they're things kids. They don't have um, complete glowing white hair. Sure. They have like a sort of weird light blonde. That's basically what I was asking is what Sorry, yeah. Yeah. You did. For some reason I went, oh, and I I panicked. I don't remember. Do they look like Atlanteans? No, they kind of do and kind of don't. There are Mm. elements of both, basically. Yes. My apologies. Yeah, I didn't didn't expect that very well. I'm sorry, man. But yes. They're mixed race. (laughs) Yes, kind of. The boy one looks like Milo and the girl one looks like Kedal. That's exactly how Disney the hair do it. Colors have swapped, <laughs> and I so refuse it's a, that. It's yeah. a white haired Fucking Milo lady in the it. tramp. <laughs> yeah, lady in the tramp moment. Punch yeah. him out and look the side. Yeah, yeah. Yep. In his office, Vink is ordering around subordinates, demanding the army get up and running ASAP. Through his mad rant, he hints that the world is going to be at war soon enough and he needs to be able to sell them to the highest bidder. Cut to Grindelwald vaping World War II. <laughs> and for some reason, we don't want to stop him. Oh, we do want to stop him. Saying, no, we want to stop him. Because the I mean, Holocaust. sort of. Because there's also another war that's happening that's related to that war, but not necessarily the same war. But there's dragons and wizards in this one for some reason. Anyway. Mm. <laughs> I, mm. hate those, I hate those movies. Anyway, a fact which has clearly been kept from anyone else working on the project. Meanwhile, Annika arrives at the factory. After initial confusion, she is let in, much to Harley's surprise. She is then stopped again by security, but Annika demands an audience with her uncle. Mm. Annika Vink. Fucking hell. Mm-hmm. The guards consent when Harley starts glitching again. That's an odd time to consent, but sure. <laughs> it's because it's just, Harley's just too weird. Like, oh, uh, uh, whatever you're doing, go uh, through. Yeah, 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 sure. Shown to the office, Annika and Vink discuss their visions for the company and the divide between them. Finally noticing Annika isn't alone, Vink asks who the other girl is. Harley speaks up, offering advice, seemingly part of the glitching, that controlling people or automatons will always end in misery. In the background of the shot, we see through the vast window that the rows of golems are quietly powering up. Everything is thrown into chaos as the factory is ambushed by flying Atlantean-style vehicles ridden by Malone, Kim, Kashek, and Dr. Burke. Are they the fishy ones from the first Kind one? of. It's more that they, they are fashioning them out of the stuff they already have, so they're just retroactively making them into mm-hmm. a... Yeah, so there's fish elements, I guess. Kind of. It's all they know. Everything is on high alert as security desperately tries to battle the intruders and the factory workers abandon their posts. With both the twins' crystals and Harley in the same building, 
the golems are overpowered with energy and activate, turning on the staff. Breaking out of the factory, they slowly march into the streets because it's Mignola, and I feel like that kind of indicatively <laughs> leads itself to, oh yeah, this. In terms of design, obviously. Ron Mignola's Palmer one. arrives through a portal. <laughs> yeah, he'd be, he'd be a good one to be the... That's a crossover. The, the uh, what do you call it? The, he'd be good to be the um, uh, voice Malone. Uh, this causes Ooh, Harley to, yeah. Yeah, to finally glitch out and take their place as Master Golem. Harley's body is elevated by the crystal's energy and rests at the center of an incomplete golem armor suit. So basically it's the classic, like, uh, Jeff Bridges in fucking Iron Man. Tony! Yeah. Gotta thank you for the suit. Yeah. <laughs> Milo was able to build this. In a cave! In a cave. Underwater! <laughs> Vink cackles at the power of it all, but starts to panic when he realizes Harley is no longer responding to his commands. An energy blast rips through the office, and Annika saves Vink's life. The fight is thrilling. Boom, whiz, pow, oh such sights. <laughs> Tim, you're right. God, such such elegant uh, descriptions uh, of action. There, so yeah. good, it's so good, so engaging. Powerful writing, Matthew, powerful writing. <laughs> Thank you. I know you're all moved. Kashek holds off a group of golems as Kim is told by Dr. Boker how best to penetrate the armor. Flying through the onslaught, she manages to get to Harley and wrestle them loose from the golem housing. Harley, unable to control their actions, fights back. Annika appears, saving Kim from falling, and uses the rod to expose the crystal in Harley's chest. But she too is struck down, and the control rod whips Harley with a bolt of energy, but is then destroyed. Malone and Dr. Burka overpower and detain Vink, while Kashak gets Kim close to Harley. They fight with vigor on a girder as the factory is ablaze. Kim uses her crystal to knock Harley over the edge, but reaches out to catch her new friend. Harley's personality slowly starts to return. Beginning to recognize Kim, Harley smiles and says, Do you like my new form? But an explosion causes Kim to lose her grip, and Harley falls. Tumbling into the flames, Harley stares back complacently before Annika swoops in with one of the Atlantean vehicles, one of the fishy ones, and, yeah. and saves them at the last minute. In the streets, the rampaging golem army powers down. An old man with glasses walks over and hits one of the machines with his cane and is raised aloft as if it was all his doing. Yak, 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 yak. Because this is a Disney film, and that's a very Disney thing to do. That's right. Jack. Matthew actually wrote that down. <laughs> I did. Later that day, Malone has Vink arrested. The press mob him, but he tells his fellow reporters, Sorry, folks, I promised this scoop exclusively to someone else. Me! In that, <laughs> in that really silly comical way. Uh, and laughs. Annika Vink is instated as the head of the company with Dr. Burke's position restored. Settling into her new office, Annika and the doctor muse on what will happen to Harley and the twins. The doctor says they're going to the best place for them. Uh, the camera then flies out the window through the city and into the sea before catching up with one of the repurposed flying machines, carrying Kim, Kashuk, and a now very androgynous Harley. Atlantis finally comes into view and Harley explains they finally feel home. Titles, credits, and music. An unnecessary song. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's doing the song, Matthew? Pilo Asbeck. Uh, post well, Malone. I was going to say, we're done with Malone, so it's post Malone. Yep. Ah! There we go. <laughs> it's a pun, Matthew. I've, I've done all the puns <laughs> well, now. Well done, Tim. <laughs> there we go. That's my entire my... season's worth of puns in one. <clears throat> in one filthy foul go. Interesting. Mm. Very interesting. Yes. You didn't quite do cyberborgs. But you did some I, golems. I did. I, I literally, the end of it, it was like, oh, there are crystals in the real world. And it's like, right, he's very old. 
and I know the whole, you know, the crystallization, but yeah, but does, is that like close to the master crystal? How does this work? The, the main heart of Atlantis? Is it, it, again, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The rules also in Atlantis are not consistent enough that you need to worry. Entirely, about. entirely. So I just thought he's going to die at some point and it's going to fall into the wrong hands. And it's always technology in the wrong hands. Secret society must be protected. And I really liked and disliked the optimism of the ending of Milo's return, which is like, no, we shouldn't be hiding yeah. our technology. It's like, <laughs> The Are world you out is your a fucking better mind? place. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about like at least one world war has ha- <laughs> happened since the events Precisely. of the first movie. Possibly both world wars. Yeah. yeah. And no one turns around to go and goes like, actually, we may not be the best people to be trusted with technology. You yeah. know the horrendous technology that's caused and created in mm. war? Let's add more magical crazy shit to yeah. that. Like, yep. mm, really yeah, you, know, you know how you were worried about humanity going, like Atlantis going to war with humanity? Mm-hmm. Now you want to give everyone the power of this the power thing. of Atlantis. Mm. To live forever and have the most crazy flying death machines? Great. So I hinted at the, the origins of the golem there. I joked, oh, it's some Jewish stuff. Because yes. it's part, a key, quite a key part of Jew- Jewish folklore. It is, yes. Um, was there anything in particular inspiring you there? Or just kind of tying, <sighs> tapping into that folklore in a way and tying it into... Combination of things. Like ancient civilizations and folklore yes. kind of all coming o- together. Almost exclusively, yeah. Um, it... <sighs> The Golem is an interesting story of, um, you know, an oppressed people trying to create something that can save them. Um, and it's like, I'm trying to do this for the best reasons. I'm trying to avoid it. And it being a misunderstood creature and, you know, it's it, all this sort of stuff. Um, and also the act of a, 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 a face of vengeance, effectively. It's a protector. Mm, yeah, There's yeah. all kinds of stuff. And what's been warped over the years. And I like the idea of that at the end of the day, that it was a thing like, we're going to use this as a weapon of war. Similarly, we're going to use this crystal to make this thing. And it's like, no, this has gone terribly wrong. Basically, I made, for lack of a better word, an anime. Um, <laughs> it's a very anime kind of movie where it's like, oh, this makes sense. And look at the little, uh, the, the crystal child has come alive. Um, but the, the, the crystal fuses with the, with the things. They can't, literally can't kill it. They can't do anything with it. But it doesn't fit. So it's in this cage. It's very Disney, like, you know, lock away in a tower kind of thing. Um, and yeah, the, the whole Jewish angle I wanted to, to uh, sort of allude to is, old you know central europe and also because the fact that we're talking about the 1930s we're alluding to a lot of things Mm. happening here for disney audiences and stuff like that yeah trying to ignore what disney themselves did during the war yeah sake i know yeah um and also tying into that i really appreciated the having the the androgyny and the gender fluidity of yeah i wanted to talk about really well i think in a in a modern audience especially you know we're talking about representation for kids and stuff like that that is a really interesting thing i think as a bold oh yeah i get in trouble you. with that shit but it's oh yeah look at the it, we're in sequelizer universe and we have the power yep i <laughs> love that as an idea there's not a chance the disney executives would they trust be that, that overt with that if that makes sense uh, but I, I think yeah that being a for me that was the key message of the whole thing the fact that harley is able to to change genders and ends up in a kind of mm-hmm. gender fluid androgynous which is why I cast Bridget Lundy Payne because they're non-binary. There you go. And I was like, mm. boom. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm pretty sure when I was talking about them earlier, I used she/her pronouns, and then I was like, wait a minute, mm. I've, bells are ringing. And yeah. I was like, no, and they, that's use, not, they, they that's, use they. Yeah, they that's, that's exactly it. And that's, but that's kind of the point. It's I, I think this will be the kind of subtlety that they'll go, yeah, because it's a robot, right? And they won't, Disney no, won't really realize what we're doing. One of my phrase, that's how you get away with it yep. for the like conservative executives and 
all the fucking Republicans yeah. are part of. It's a crystal mm. robo thing. It's not, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. real. No, yeah. We're not yeah. using it as representation for the trans community. Yeah. But you are. The important thing is you are. I'm doing a piece here, everybody. But the point is as well, because it's like, because Kim's like, I don't know why I'm drawn. And then the key words, I'm drawn to this person. It's like, yeah, it's like, well, it's probably just the crystal. It's like, I know what it is. It's like, no, it's the crystal. It's that homely feeling. And then it's like, no, I like them. I don't know what it is about. I'm trying to, mm. so when, do you like how I look now? Sort of thing. All these factors are played in a way that's innocent enough that the, there won't be like outrage. But people who are being represented might find that a positive representation. Sounds reason. like a really weird thing to compare it to. And it's something mm. I touched on in Mean Girls too, oddly enough. Yeah. Is Euphoria. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Some fantastic trans representation in that with trans actors playing trans characters. Mm. And even talking about young people and transsexuality as well and how people yeah. understand that and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, you don't go anywhere near as far into the <laughs> details of sexuality no, 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 as, no, no, no. as Euphoria does. But even the little hints there, I think that is really interesting stuff to be addressing in a film that's aimed at children. Mm, yes. The fact that you have that representation that, you know, as, as we know now, so many people under, understand or, or maybe don't understand their gender at younger and younger ages and are able to express themselves. Yeah, yeah. Ignoring all the political bollocks that's happening in America at the moment, but yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we're moving in the right direction for all that kind of stuff of and there's going to be more people able to express yeah. themselves in more clearer ways. Yeah. And the way forward. I see it, this is just about, and this is the thing, it, it's not like I'm saying, I'm doing this really important message piece, even though this thing's like, no, I'm just normalizing by a straight it. white guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I'm just trying to normalize it by telling this story. So That's the thing. It's, yeah. it's got all the standard beats of a, a family adventure action sequel. You've got weird, mad, crazy scientist voiced by Jean-Claude Van Damme. Mm. Um, you've got reporter trying to get on the big scoop kind of thing. Uh, you've got uh, family dynamics with, you know, empire and, you know, you don't understand. And, you know, the, 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 the niece being, Annika being, you know, I'm more than capable as a woman to run this company mm. and all, all this sort of stuff. We don't really go into the full allegiance of why she's been kicked out. That's through the conversations while they're walking through the market and she's yada, yada, yada. Mm. And the kids, uh, Kashek and Kim being obviously, they literally just bugger off from Atlantis. We don't really see Atlantis until the end because it's like, yeah, it's not really about the place. It's about the effect it has in our world and why it must remain a secret, which is what I felt the first film kind of was talking about and things. But anyway. No, no, no. We need to share our technology. <laughs> uh, sure. That's the lesson we learned. Yeah, I think if I have the the problem that I would have with this, or the the criticism that I would have, Go ahead, yeah, is that I think it works really well as a film, and I think it's a really good solid thing. I don't think it works as an Atlantis sequel. I think Fair. the the weakest parts of it are the bits that tie back into Atlantis. Almost, hmm. it just feels like a good anime <laughs> that no, you've yeah. written, um, but it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't feel that. Like, mm. especially if you're doing it like, oh, it's the 20th anniversary, we're going to key into sure. the nostalgia, and then you've got basically none of the original characters in it whatsoever. Yeah, I um, tr I had so many drafts where I was trying to get them in there, and I thought, it doesn't make sense for any of them to be here. Um, And trying to get them in felt like a shoehorning, and also because the age, I thought, well, hang on, it's 20 years later, what does that look like? Yeah, we could make that work a few places. Um, I also, in one of my early drafts, had the entire thing in Atlantis. Mm. Oh, interesting. And I fucking hated it. Now it's just I hate my version. Um, but yes, uh, it, it, it's, it's a valid, valid criticism because I think the, the way I came at it was, which I, again, I'm sort of still standing on, is 
Atlantis is not great. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I don't need to save much of it because I don't even expect a lot of people to go back and watch. My, my hope is people will watch this film and say, this is fantastic. I'll watch Atlantis 1 and go, you know what? I don't give a shit about it. I prefer it was just a recap <laughs> at the start of the movie. Mm. That kind of thing, yeah. you know? Um, but it's a valid, it's a valid point to him entirely. And we'd have to literally uproot so much of this to make it work into an Atlantis sequel in a, in a, in a more traditional sense, shall we say. Mm. That's fair. Yeah, I can't imagine this film set in Atlantis. I assume it was a very, very different movie. Oh, it was a different thing. The whole story was different. Than it, it, was, it was mostly about the, the crystal child sort of situation and, and the kids. But, and again, the, the idea of Vink was more just that there was one Atlantean who was like, oh, we need to go back to the surface. Mm -hmm. That kind of cantankerous. I thought that's a bit too rogue. That's a bit too what Disney would actually do. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to go, no, we should be talking about the war. Because <laughs> this film's like, it, the first again, it's a, it's a steampunk adventure. And I wanted to continue mm. that, but how do you the whole point is that milo is uh in unfamiliar territory mm. so you just invert that and it's the kids on mm. on land but and then that's where the crystals driving them and you know in the wrong hands and they're trying to recover mm. it and blah 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 i think the way that you could do elements of that and at least bring mm -hmm. in a stronger atlantis presence at the end mm -hmm. is that you have the 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 kind of the automatons going wild be more of a thing sure. like causing more chaos and the twins have to basically call up mum and call dad home. and yeah, be yeah, like yeah, yeah. hello we fucked up uh you know yeah. you've got that big crystal yeah can you can you bring some more atlantis people yeah. to help us sort this out because again you have them like no you're right in and doing part of the rescue kind of thing yeah absolutely right and i, I must admit that had crossed my mind at one point mm. and this is back to kind of in a strange way similar to my my G.I. Joe thing where I was like, ah, ah that takes away some of the agency of the kids. And it's not right. Cause that, that doesn't really take the case. Cause mm. it's the idea. Cause I think you could, you could yeah. then still focus on like the Milo and Kida kind of showing up and being like, Oh, this is Atlantean technology. We need to sort this out. And the sure. kids being like, no, but we've made friends with Harley and like, they are, they're yes. a real person. They're like they're not just an automaton. Mm. Like, yes, we need to go save them. Which is fair. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that personally. Yeah. Mm. I think that'd be fine. I'd be, I'd be happy for that. Weird that you draw the parallel to the G.I. Joe pitch. Mm. As I was reading it, I was drawing parallels to the Fern Gully pitch from season oh. nine with the CEO of a corporation and trying to take yeah, them down yeah, and yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. And weirdly enough, uh, talking of like the parents coming in and saving and all that kind of stuff and, and having these this younger cast kind of taking over from the older cast, that's similar to my Mean Girls pitch as well. <laughs> True. It's this weird amalgamation of stuff that it is like completely disparate and not associated mm -hmm. at all but you kind of like taken themes and tones yeah yeah mm. yeah exactly the different elements from different things and not consciously because you wrote this before you read my mean <laughs> yeah, girls pitch true. and all that kind of stuff mm. i'm not saying there's direct inspiration no no no, 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 no <laughs> it's yeah. interesting the th between the three of us on those three pitches mm. and even we're a little bit with the gi joe there mm. we're drawing different lines but coming to similar conclusions and you know, talking about like corporations are evil. It's like, oh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> well, a lot representation of... for teenagers. Yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it's because, again, it, let's face it, from really from the mid 90s onwards, post yuppie years of the late 80s, that's been on our minds as, yeah. as you know, as people. It's fucking Captain Planet was like. Exactly. <laughs> and it's been, it's been, it's still relevant and it's still pushing. So if you're going to make a story that has a bit of a message to it, that tends to be one that resonates. Mm. So it, it, it's to a degree, some, some people could easily say, well, that's a bit fucking cliche generic. It's like, well, no, it's, it's still relevant. That's the problem. That's, but yeah, mm. that's there. Yeah. Uh, something that I got vibes 
yeah. equivalent vibes to. Um, especially the fact that you've got like a plucky reporter and an army yeah. of automatons uh, with Sky Captain in the world of tomorrow. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this is good because, I mean, again, these are all key points. It's like, again, it's it's the whole like, yeah, as a film, it's it's just like do a big cyberpunky adventure with like, a steampunk adventure slip of the cyborg tongue there <laughs> yes my apologies a steampunk adventure and that's the thing it's it's so easy to do something set in that world the problem is when you try and make it tie back into yeah. that story when it's like like again even like the official one from the collider article oh it's about what's a face being a cyborg lady with a big coat and a mask I'm like sure mm. I wouldn't have gone down that road but fine and they're, they're, like, that pitch yeah. was very much just like, well, we redo the first film. It's more people coming to invade Atlantis. Atlantis. It's just yeah. that Milo is there to start with now. Yeah, precisely. And I and wanted it to be... Slightly different technology. Yeah. Because yeah. again, it's another thing about um, another underwriting message as well, which is why I completely forgot about the whole, like, you know, the, these kids being part of two worlds and feeling like oddballs in both of them. Mm. It's like, oh, it, you know, that, that fish out water moment when they said that on the shore again, it's the whole, well, dad's from the surface mm. so we've never visited it's like we're not allowed to go but why not that kind mm. of thing it's it is also that that sort of again there are so many themes i put in here and tried to talk about and layer like you know kids of two worlds and mm. which basically is another way for talking about you know i mean that could maybe even be a way again just to bring in more of the old atlantis stuff mm -hmm. is have them rather like obviously start out on atlantis and do your initial like here they are running around the city getting into trouble like bits and pieces establish the characters and have the royal family go up to the surface to visit all their old friends okay yeah that works and yeah, then yeah, yeah. and then you can have and then she passes out there basically she passes out there and they go and they we're go gonna go investigate there it, it is and that's all this yeah. Tim, i yeah. love that and that way you i do miss the original cast yeah i'm the, still the, the, the thing cast. i'm still because i feel like anytime I, I still feel like i can't include them because i feel like that cast at arguably you're going to end up with most of them being 50 or 60, potentially. Yeah, 60s, yeah. Um, some of them are dead, um, almost guaranteed. I'm going to say the two old people are like, they're somehow still alive. And obviously, Whitmore's dead. Is as well. yeah. And I'm like, they can't just go on adventure with these kids. It doesn't really yeah, I don't think, the same I beat. Think so they'd, them... they'd be cameo-based rather than yeah, this. If yeah, if it's them, they've settled down a bit. They've avoided the you know they were rich at the end they they would have avoided the, the With, horrors of world war one yeah and the stock market crash yeah uh but you can have yeah i think i think um just you know put some more gray in um vinnie's mustache and uh, he's still like this and he's still yeah. talking yeah yeah no i think that, i think it's valid I, and i mm. wouldn't have a problem with that it's just i think as i said like with but to be fair like with um milo and keeder at the start of the film and i said to you guys it's like oh michael j fox and it's like oh where is it yeah, he's doing like a couple of lines. Of, yeah, it's it's not going to be demanding. Um, I worry it would be too much of a throwaway. But and in that reference, I like that as a thing, and I like them being on the surface already. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, you can come out, but you can't go far. And then it's like, well, we're going to hop a fucking whatever to yeah. Europe. yeah we're going to yeah. hop wire this flying fish and take it over to. No, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, solid. Nice. Anything else you'd like to address? Or... No, I think that's most of it. Sweet. Well, folks, if you are diehard Atlantis fans, we don't want to hear from you. Please don't. I mean, I <laughs> Matt, don't, I why don't wasn't this diehard in Atlantis? <gasps> oh, fuck's sake. Diehard in the sea. That's under siege. <laughs> yeah. With another good Dr. Burker, Steven Seagal. <gasps> 
No. 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 Because <laughs> he'd come away from the film and be like, well, I'm a doctor now. He probably he fucking would. I'm hanging out in North Korea. What an idiot. Fucking weirdo. Anyway. Please do let us know your thoughts about Matthew's pitch and your thoughts on Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and Atlantis to Milo's Return. And of course, Atlantis to the Crystal Child, the pitch itself. You can let us know on all the social medias. We are sequelizers on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Come and join us on the Discord. We pretty much have an after-show chat. Uh, there's plenty of spoiler tags and stuff like that. So if you are delayed, people tend to be pretty careful with the spoilers these this days, is which is good. So uh, yeah, we have a little breakdown, the three of us in there, to answer questions and stuff and argue back about people who don't like pitches and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, which is to, we explain and defend and clarify <laughs> points. Yeah, absolutely. We, we want to hear your feedback. We're interested to see what people think yeah. for these pitches and all that kind of stuff. I think you went pretty out there, Matt, so I'm interested to see what people think. It's, it's my fucking theme for the season. Yep. Look forward to my pr- finale. Pretty out there. Ooh. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> but you can find the links for all of those things at sequelizers.com. There's the links for our merch and our shop, the links for all the live streams, link for the Discord I just mentioned, links for the Patreon I mentioned at the top of the show, and all of our social media, individually and collectively. If you'd like to follow me on social media, I am JLW Chambers on basically everything. You can go and listen to the Search with Candor podcast, which I host with my co-host Mark. We talk about PPC and SEO and digital marketing and stuff. I also interview people around that space who are very cool and doing interesting things. So if you are interested in keeping up to date with digital marketing and stuff like that, please do give it a listen. You can just search Search with Candor on your podcast app of choice. Matthew, how can people find you on the internet? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. You can go to the redrighthand.co.uk and read my reviews. You can go to cheesemint.com and see the things that I make. Um, you can also search for Sumo Drop, which is between uh, three weeks respectively in January, March, May, July, September, and November during the sumo wrestling seasons um, with my wife, Emma Jane, and our friend Fox. Um, Tim, if you had a dirt fetish. Oh. <laughs> Where could I read about it? We're not saying you're the Moliere of the group, Tim, but you might be. Snuggling into a plant pot. If you play your cards right. Yep. Uh, you can read all about my dirt fetish on twitter.com. Uh, trivia underscore lad is my profile ID, whatever the fuck it's called. Handle? Handle, Handle yeah. yeah, I guess. That's, a uh, that's, that's, a, that's, a that's the best, best place to follow me online. Uh, and, and learn uh, more about your foot fetish and dirt fetish. Yeah, no foot fetish. Okay. Just, dirt. Just, dirt. Just, just dirt. Just dirt. And uh, French accents and dirt. Rabel. Dirt and Don animated, animated characters voiced by Claudia Christian. Mm, <laughs> fair. Fair. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. <sighs> it's so, happening. For those of you who it's know, different. it's. It, it's that it's, one. It's the final Patreon pick of the, the final season. executive producer pick. Um, I'm going to say something. This is something we would not have actively chosen. It's on the master list, mostly to say that exists if we get so desperate and the bottom yeah. of the barrel. It's a film I wish I had never seen, and now I have because of this fucking podcast. Yep. And executive producer Josh Miles. Season 10, baby. Season 10, episode 10. Next week. 10 out of 10. (sighs) (laughs) It's a a contestant for the worst film we've ever covered on this show. In 10 seasons. Mm. It's up there with Son of the Mark. I think this Mm. film is fucking dross. It's bad. And I'm fixing it. So, there's the little tease for you for next week. 
And we'll be back next week with, as I said, one of the worst films we have ever covered. Hype, hype, hype. Buzz, buzz, buzz. Enjoy your weeks because prepare for torture <laughs> in one week's time. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.